Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 34 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I'm your host, Johnny Cullen, joined alongside, as always, Dwayne Steinell. Dwayne, how are you today, my friend? Pretty good, Cully, pretty good. Bills with the dub, 30-23, Bills Mafia. I can't hear you! Hey, I love it, I love it, but as a wise coach once said, not too high, not too low. We're through a quarter of the season. Let's keep pushing. But, hey, without further ado, we are so lucky to be joined by the Saginaw Spirit head coach entering his third season, um, Chris Lazary. Uh, Chris, so, so we're so appreciative of you being on here, man. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to this episode. So thanks for taking the time to be with us here, man. Oh, thanks for having me. I got to echo the uh, Bills Mafia statement. It's anyone that's been a Bills fan, it's been a long, starving uh, career as a fan. And now to see them kind of get some success, hopefully this COVID doesn't derail the season, but it's, it's exciting. You know what's great is that immediately within 15 seconds of the episode, all of our listeners just went six to midnight for Chris because they hear Bills Mafia. They're like, this is our guy right here. We need a coach. Bring him into Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I love it. I love it. We got a ton, a ton to get to today. Um, our last episode, we talked with Scott Wheeler about the uh, upcoming draft. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting, Chris, and me and Dwayne were talking about it. Everything's been kind of thrown, thrown out the window as far as usual schedules go, you know, without the combine, w- without the usual draft. Um, so things are happening pretty fast. So really excited to have you on. Um, before we get to any of that, uh, I love to start out with a little bit of background on you. Um, so for me, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and, uh, you know, how you got started in this wonderful game of hockey. Yeah, I grew up in Whippy, Ontario. Um, I always say it's God's country. It's one of the best places I think on the planet. Um, started playing minor hockey. I didn't start until I was 13. So I was a late starter. I actually played a lot of baseball and some lacrosse when I was younger. And then I got into hockey. Wasn't much of a player. Always could think the game well, but couldn't play it too well. Um, I always tell the guys in, in Saginaw, if my boots were better, I'd still be playing in the NHL. But 
couldn't couldn't skate to save my life. So I played some AAA, played a little bit of junior. Knew near the end of junior, I probably wasn't going to have a career as a player, but I wanted to work in hockey, and I thought coaching would be the next best thing. So um, I got uh-huh. in. I think I was 21, and I've kind of I started in the minor hockey, and I've worked my all all the way up to the OHL to to my position today. So, quick question: Were the Whippy Wildcats uh, around when you were playing? They were. I was. I had. I remember the best tournaments. Us here. Us here in Buffalo, Dwayne. You remember too. Like our tournaments, the ones we look forward to were were all the ones in Toronto or Mississauga, right? So Absolutely. Going against some really talented Whippy Wildcats teams, and they played hard and they played the right way, and um, we always got our shit kicked. And and not you know probably because my goals against average was seventeen, but no. Um, Whippy's a cool place. Um, and, and growing up there, it, um, now, did you have any older, older brothers or sisters that played hockey? Who, how'd you kind of get into the game? You know what? It's funny. Like, uh, I got a big family, but none of them really played a, a guy on the name Blaine down. He played forever. He played in the OHL, played a lot of pro just actually retired. He moved on to my street about five doors down and we were the same age. And I kind of got playing road hockey with him and decided I want to be a hockey player. So Played house league for one year, played double A for a year, made triple A, and then played five years of junior. So I kind of got into it that way, just going to his triple A games and thinking there's a hell of a lot more girls coming to these hockey games than there is baseball games. And I thought this is the sport for me. So that's what got me going. Well, you know what, I, Dwayne, me and you talked about this on episode two or three. I think it's so cool to hear that because there's this stigma that in order to make it to the OHL or pros, you have to play in the GTHL, triple A when you're right. years old. And, and that, that couldn't be farther from the truth, right? And, and, and you're the testament to that. So love to hear that. Um, Johnny, Johnny, so are you. What do you mean? I said you played, you played, I mean, you played some prep, but I mean, you, I mean, you didn't, t- you took the road less travel to get to the O. Yeah. Hey, so Chris, really quick. I was on my way to be like the bat, the third goalie for the Chicago Steel. I had just gotten back from the Ivan Holinka tournament. You know the, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. So I, I made state I made state camp as an alternate, made national camp as an alternate. Kid from Michigan broke his leg, had the best week of my life, got chose to play for that team. Here's a fun tidbit. Our assistant coach was John Cooper. Oh, wow. Our head coach was Seth Appert, now Rochester Americans coach. Um, no, but I was on my way to, to Chicago. I was going to play U18 for Chicago Mission and, and practice with the Steel. I get about halfway to Cleveland, Chris. And I get a phone call from Mario Chiquillo. And um, him and Dave Brown, they offered me a contract right there. Me and my parents pulled off to the diner on the side of the 90. And I had to make that decision right right then and there. And I have no regrets. But the road less traveled, amen to that, Dwayne. Um, and I think it's important for kids to hear that. So I, I, I have to ask you one thing. My brother played in the OPJHL for the Syracuse Stars. Uh, he's an 84 birth year. Um, would that, what, what birth year are you? I'm in 82 and I played, uh, Port Hope and Pickering. So I'm, I imagine we would have crossed. Cause the, he uh, played in that Wellington division. Yeah. So Port Hope, I'm trying to remember now. It seems like a lifetime ago. We were in the Eastern side. I don't know if we were in that division or not, but we would have played. I know I played in Wellington in the old barn because. That Duke Dome was sweet, wasn't it? Oh man, it's insane. Like, especially the visitor end is a D like that that end wall would come out like a foot and a half so every time you go back into retrieval 
they're running you into the wall, but like the glass is a foot off the dasher, so your your ribs are just soaking it. I remember one thing, Dwayne. I was a little rink rat, and I would go up there, uh, and it wasn't a fun drive by any means. And my and the Syracuse was getting pumped by Wellington, and not only did they do a good job packing it, but like you said, those end boards, they knew exactly where to put it, even if they were going cross corner dump to just set up the D to get killed. And I remember just sitting there and just realizing this is big boy hockey and uh, had, a, had a big appreciation for that. I still feel weird calling it the OJ. It'll always be the OPJ to me. I'm with you. Like I, every time I hear the OJ and I've coached in, I guess the OJ now, but I was an OP player and um, you know, that's when I had, it seemed like I had like 50 teams. Now they're down to 24, whatever it is. So. And, you know what? Uh, that, killed, that killed the league though, didn't it? Yeah, like it, it did and it didn't. I think it, it made the caliber maybe a bit better, but I don't know all the, the reasons behind it. I, I know I like it a little bit better because there isn't any, really any poor, poor teams like there were kind of when we were coming through where, you know, I don't want Port Hope like we were brutal. I think we won six games all year. Like that's a long, long year. No, but what I was saying is, is when they went to that many teams, you think it helped? When they went down? I, I was saying that I thought once they got rid of some of the crummier teams and went down, it got better. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I okay, think it's yeah. kind of better. They've cut out kind of the fat, right? Right. And, 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 and it's just stability is what it's all about. Right. So, um, so I see here you played for the Port Hope Buzzards. I love that name, man. What was that like? Were you an underager then? No, I was 17, I believe 17 or 18 when I played there. It was an awesome place like that they rocked like they had the seats only on the one side was always always full on game night you know Coburg was just down the road I, I thought it was a great spot they had they ended up having a really good franchise before uh I think they ended up moving to Trenton but it was a great spot to play I really really enjoyed it that's awesome that's awesome I um I I was fortunate to see that that hockey and um and and have my older brother kind of you know go through that and he was a goalie too so it really helped me after that, you ended up in Pickering. Um, were you were you traded? Yeah, I got traded, and then that year, I can't remember how many games I played, but what happened is I ended up separating my shoulder, and it was a severe one. So I was out for most of the year. When it was time to come back, they weren't going to make playoffs, so they said, "Well, why don't you go play in Oxbridge Junior C for the rest of the year? The team's going to be good. This way, you can maximize games because we've got you know like twelve left, and they're going to go on a run." So I actually went down to the Junior C team. We lost in the uh, the provincial final, which was great. So I ended up getting almost a full season worth of games just on playoffs alone down there. So it kind of worked out for me after missing most of the year on injury. I got a quick question, then I'll quick it over to Dwayne. Dwayne, I don't know how much you know about junior C hockey in, in Ontario, but when you got when you went down there, were you getting any grease for game winners or stuff like that? You know what we? That's the thing with Oxbridge. They ran like uh, a pretty clean ship, I guess you could say. Like it. It, well, I'm, I'll tell you one thing, a funny story. My very first game, so I drive up with my old man. We play a game. There's a massive crowd in there. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this place is sold out. Little did I know there was only a crowd in there because there was a scheduled high school fight in the parking lot after the game. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, <laughs> everybody it. The game, I'm thinking, it was scheduled? It was, like, scheduled? Like, there was a lot, there was a big hype? Hey, man, it's Saturday night in Ontario. What do you think's going to happen, brother? Saturday. <laughs> I, I remember walking great. out of the rink with my old man. We were walking out of the rink, getting ready to go back home, and big scrap outside. So we're standing there watching this fight, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then the next time we played at home, there was, like, half the crowd. So. Well, they're probably still, fight they're night. Probably still serving their, their three-week jail sentence, you know? 
Oh, that's great. That's great. That's old time hockey. Um, that's great. Oh my God. <laughs> well, you know oh. what? I, I'm, I, Dwayne's going to kill me again, but I enjoyed my time in Ontario just because it's, it's just the way that they approach hockey. Right. I met so many good people, even my billets. I still keep in contact to this day. And I told somebody this story today, you know how once in a while here in the States, Dwayne, uh, you'll get into Tim Hortons in a drive through and somebody you'll, you'll get up there and they're like, Hey, the person in front of you paid for you. Yep. Yeah, that was a me, daily yeah. occurrence. That was a daily occurrence in wherever I played. And, and I just think Canada is, is a great place, um, you know, for hockey players. And, and I played in some great communities. Um, so, I mean, that's awesome. So take me through it. What were you thinking there um, right after that last year um, in, uh, in Pickering? Well, I ended up, and it doesn't show on it. I don't know if you're on the lead prospects, but I ended up year in junior before they became a junior a team i played in orangeville so i got to actually do the billet experience and uh you know what it was it was great because my billets basically talked me into going to university i had zero interest in going to university so i i ended up going back when i was in my 20 year old year and upgrading my high school credits so i can get into uh, a canadian university i ended up going uh that route for a year I did a year of university and yes, then yes hockey is way underrated Oh, it's, I it's, got the uh, chance to play at Western, man. I, and I tell people all the time, and they don't believe me. It's fucking unreal. It's the, it, you know what? I've coached it, too. I coached at York for a year, and I'll tell you what one year? thing. Uh, 2012-13, I think, at the Buddy, top of my head. I was, on, I was at Western 2012-13. So Jesse Messier, who we have now as a coach with, my, with me and Saginaw, he was the captain did of our team. Did he play in the O? He did. Yeah, yeah, I remember did. that guy. He's got, like, fucking four goals on eight shots on me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but you know what? He was a good player. He did it Don't all. I'll tell him that because he, he's uh... – So, so sorry, where did you coach no, again? That's a hidden gem. I was at York for a year. Oh, York. Did you have Perigini? I did. I had both, actually. The, the older and the younger brother was uh, kind of, like, redshirting for a year. Okay, so I have to tell the story. Dwayne's going to get pissed. I don't care. Um, because I, mean, I, I would like to talk, I would like to talk sometime. I, I know I'm done after this. Go. I'm sorry. This Perigini is one of my sworn enemies. I'll keep it quick. His older brother, um, you know, the name Perro Greco, the goalie coach, Chris, uh, he was a goalie coach when I was with the Marlies for two years. One of the best, right? I, I went up there when I was 14 and I was the one of the only Americans Perigini's the older Perigini was instructing it along with Jeff Daniels. A lot of those guys. Chris, Chris was in, in like my group, and so was Scott Stager and all those guys. Bennington was there. But uh, the, Chris Perigini was always a dick to me, and um, I fucking hated this guy. More, Hey, put it this way, Dwayne. I hated him more than Mrazic. So um, we're playing Windsor against Sue. I fucking tried to fight him, and, and I, I, I got tossed because I got to the red line. He wanted none of it. But he's my, my mortal enemy. Fuck. Fuck that guy. A lot of my buddies that have played with him love him, but I just had to bring that up. Sorry. Hey, hey Chris, you remember before the show where Carl was like, yeah, we try not to swear too much here. Yeah, I feel like I should just unload right <laughs> You bring up the name Chris Dude, whatever, in the floor. Whatever. whatever man. Hey, man, I, uh, Chris, again, I mean, I call you stole my thunder there a couple times, but, um, you know, I want to touch on one thing as far as hockey is up, you know, especially junior hockey really no matter what the level um, up in Canada, it is really like a surreal experience. Me and my buddies back in college, this is uh, um, back when Johnny T was, uh, you know, back and forth. I think it was, oh, Cully, it was 
He got traded to London. Tavares, he got traded to Oshawa? London. He was in Oshawa. Oshawa, and he got traded to London. Yeah, and we were, you know, I know, I know Buffalo. I mean, they 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 weren't a great team, so you know, that that was a guy that we were kind of hoping that maybe the, the the Sabers would fall to, you know, end up with the first overall pick to draft him. So we we did some traveling up in you know up in Canada just to watch him play every time he was near. Uh, near uh, London, and we uh, caught him in Niagara. The Jama and, Bat uh, Center is my favorite rank to play in in the world. Dude, it's it's insane, man. Like just the energy in these rinks. It's like it it's second to none, man. Especially right now, you know, at least here in Buffalo. Like I haven't seen any fans as passionate uh, in in here in Buffalo as I do see in the O. You know, up up north, man. It's it, it's wild. You know, the passion. The passion is passion. It's it's insane. It's insane. Man, and you'd be blown away. We were talking about the CIS. There are certain CS CIS teams that pack it. Like um, the the McGill, I uh, I visited at Queens, Chris, because um, I played a year for the Frontenacs and and I, and I knew the coach there. But when they play RMC, that's fucking banana lands. Um, so and then Waterloo, and then what was the other team? Waterloo, um, Laurier. They they, yeah. they have that good rivalry. But yeah, no, it was awesome, man. And um, that's why I love Canada, man. Dwayne, you hit the nail on the head, brother. Mm-hmm. No, so um. I guess going back to it, Perigini, I heard he was a really nice guy. I don't know why I had it. We all have that one player we hate, right? And there was no reason for it. Um, and uh, anyways, I had to say, that's great. So you were at York. Um, my last game before I got injured was at the old Maple Leafs Garden. What was it called? No, old Maple Leafs Garden. Remember when they tra- – and that was Ryerson, sorry. Yeah, that's that Madden. I think it's called the Madden Center now. Did you like that rink? Uh, you know what? When I was coaching there, I never got uh, never got in there. To be honest with you, I can't remember why I wasn't at that game, but I've been to it. Like I've seen it. They've done a phenomenal job. The bottom's obviously a grocery store, but they kept the roof of Old Maple Leaf Garden, which was an amazing but kind of feature like, to the rank intact setup. You know what I mean, Dwayne? So Old Maple Leaf Gardens, you walk through. It's kind of like a plaza with shops. And then Lake yeah, been Pop is there, and it's very bright. And uh, that was my last ever game. I got the win. Um, and uh, so York, I'm trying to think of York. I don't think we played you guys um, that year, but that was the year that Laurier or, or Western or um, Laurier, I think Laurier won or Waterloo. They won the uh, OUA. Yeah, it was. It might have been. It was Windsor or Waterloo. Like it, one of those uh, teams won that year, and I remember it was kind of like a like an upset year for team winning it because they weren't really the top of the class but it was one of those kind of mid-pack teams that yeah we got, we got upset by laurier i remember that that sucked yeah hey, it's hard to win and the best two out of three series in the playoffs like and like you said it's like pro hockey people don't really appreciate the level of it but if you make a mistake just like pro like it ends up in your net it's fantastic hockey i have two points to win and then i'll leave this alone that year especially was the year in the lockout because the year before we got swept by London. I went out to the Ontario rain in the coast. I was behind Darcy Cooper and Jeffrey. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't play, but it was just a cool experience. Had a PTO to go back. The lockout hits we had. So that year in the CIS, we had six or seven guys that were signed or drafted. Like that year was crazy talented in the CIS. And the last point I'll make a lot of people in the States don't know this, our exhibition schedules are against powerhouse D1 teams. So, like, for, um, we played um, Miami of Ohio and Western Michigan. Who did you guys – do you remember any of the teams we played? We played Cornell. 
believe it or not. We went and did a, a series against Cornell, and then uh, I think the next year was uh, – we. I think they actually went out to uh, Arizona and played like a, a D2-type club team because they wanted a – Wanted a vacation. Yeah, so. smart idea. But Dwayne, <laughs> you know that, Dwayne? That DCIC. Yeah. And it's not like most people think they'll shit bumped. We, we beat Western Michigan, and they had Danny DeKaiser at the time. And um, we tied Miami of Ohio. So the CIS doesn't get the respect it deserves. And it's a great league. And you look at now the, the trend of more and more guys signing out of CIS. It's incredible. Yeah, it is. And uh, you know what? It's a great option. So guys that maybe haven't got their pro contract coming out of junior, where they used to go to the coast, now they'll go sign with the CIS team, play a year or two, and end up earning the contract they were hoping for anyway and, and knock off some school for free using their school package. So it's kind of that gray zone in between for the guys that maybe just need one more year or two more years to kind of prove their pros. And it's heavily scouted. I know when I was at York, I was running in the NHL scouts all the time. So it's, uh, there's players there for sure. I'll, last note on this, the starting goalie for us at Western, Josh Eunice, he got called up to, to be the emergency goalie for the Marlies, like right out of Western. It was awesome. Um, so, no, great league. It doesn't get enough attention. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's when I had my first surgery and, and, and I had to go. But Western was a great school. The hockey is, is sank at the none. I think it's cool that uh, we were able to talk about that because, like you said, it doesn't get a whole ton of notoriety. So, um Dwayne, I'm sorry. You know what? I got a little. I went six to midnight. I, I you know what? I got. Sorry, right, buddy. It's all you, brother. No, it's all right. I mean, let's just get right into it. Uh, you know, with um, you know, this past year, obviously, Chris, uh, you had. Wait, wait, wait! Played. One last thing. How did you get into the OHL? Well, that's an interesting I mean, story. Are... The Coles Notes version is is uh, through a connection. I to go out when I was trying to come up through hockey and I would go scout minor midget didn't work for an OHL team but really made a connection to a guy named Nick Sinclair who ended up being the GM yeah, in Sarnia sorry. when he got hired yeah when he got hired he said, with him he always said that years ago before he was the GM that if he ever got into the OHL he'd bring me with him and he was true to his word he got hired and two weeks later he offered me a job and that, it, that got me into the league so, so was Abercrombie still there because I was in Sarnia for half a year before I ended up in Windsor but I remember Sinclair. Well, he's there. He's the best. Like he, uh, it's great. We used to go, we used to go to his house, watch hockey, eat pizza, golf in the summer. He was great to me. Like he was, uh, kind of like a little bit of a mentor for where I was trying to figure it out with his experience. I'd wheel up cause he was the president for our team. I'd wheel up and he used to love to take me for breakfast on game day. So there's no way I was saying no to that. Yeah, we just how, huge about, that? how huge is that as a young guy kind of having somebody like that take you through it. Right. Like that's awesome. For sure. Anything I had, you know, kind of questions or it's easy to bounce like, hey, how would you deal with this situation with this player and get feedback? And he was a great resource to kind of get my feet wet. So I didn't make any critical mistakes with my players and relationships. Um, he, he would give a lot of advice to help navigate. So it was huge. So, um, Dwayne, I'll kick it to you over this. So I had just left Sarnia two years prior there and they cleaned house with uh, Dave McQueen was there. They fired him. Um, and then, so who were the coaches, the head coaches when you were there? Was that Hatcher yet? No. Uh, so my first year I was with Lutz, Trevor Lutowski, and Andy Oh, Dunn. hey, Lutz. Lutz was my assistant. I love that fucking guy. Best guy ever. Best guy I've probably met in hockey, bar none. You know, uh, him Dwayne, and him. Dwayne, you remember Trevor Lutowski. He, won a, he, he played in the mm -hmm. show. It's Unfortunately, he's remembered for that blindside hit he took. You know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, um, unfortunately, I know exactly what you're talking honestly, about. Honestly, Chris, you took the words out of my mouth. He was so good to me. He was, he was an assistant coach at the time, but you could tell right away that this guy has such a bright future. He reminds me a lot of Doggy Smith. They're so polar opposite, but their trajectory about getting to the show, because I had DJ in Windsor. I think Lutz, he, he can be in the show in no time, but he is the best fucking guy ever. Ah, Lutz, man. So was he the head coach there then when you? He was. And you know what? He's again, like gave me a ton of rope and really just navigate and mentor your first year. Like, man, I, like I can't, I could not have had a better guy to work for my first year in the league to build confidence and give you opportunities to do stuff at that level. Um, especially with no playing background, like the best guys, like I would, I would go to bat for that guy any day of the week. And, and obviously now he's in Windsor and love seeing him and we still stay in contact. He, he was great, man. The hardest, yeah, the hardest, hardest thing was uh, when they didn't renew his contract, when Hatch came in. I was lucky enough I got to stay on, and I think that I was a throw-in just because I, w I didn't cost a lot for Hatch to keep, and he had, you know, a returning guy, but Lutz and Deli kind of – I thought that was crazy when they didn't renew him, man. He does so much for, for, for everything, you know what I mean? His special team stuff is his – not only his X's and O's, but his ability to communicate the players. And there, There's a fine line as an assistant coach between – being there for your players, right? And then, you know, being, you know, crossing that line, right? But Lutz was one of the best at um, – I was going through a tough year. We had Yakupov and Galchenyuk. Yaki had 40 goals, was still like a minus 30. Did not come back in the D zone. But, like, Lutz was just so good to me, and I'll never forget it. Dwayne, I will try to get Lutzy on the show because you would love this fucking guy. He is a hockey genius. He's one of the best guys. You know yeah. what? He taught, one of the things he taught me taught me the most, and just to, so people get an idea what he's about, like it, it's about people, man. He just cares about the kids more than he does winning, and it's about it's about relationships and making sure that these guys are in good environments. So, yeah, he's the best. If you guys get him on the show, and he, I'm sure he'd love to come on. He's got so many fucking funny stories, man. Like he's he's a dictionary of stories. It's unreal. Um, hey, I always you get to see. I've him, always Paul, said hello, please. I've always been a, I've always been a big proponent of that as a coach myself in the, the past decade, man, is, yeah, winning is great and everything, and that is the goal, but, you know, I've always been proud of the kids I've coached and the people they ended up being after they, after they left the rink, you know, after they left my locker room, you know, you know, are they, are they better, are they better for being there uh, with me, at, you know, as their mentor or, you know, their coach? Um, are they better for it? And that's what I always took pride in, you know, nothing, no championship could ever, you know, feel better than that. I agree. I think, you know what, why we're so, we've had some success in Saginaw and I think, you know, why they, that's our philosophy. Like it's about the kids first. Like obviously, yeah, you want to win, but that's kind of the byproduct of treating people right, creating a good environment, letting these guys be themselves and developing relationships. Like, I mean, uh, we have a young staff, and we challenge each other every day to treat these kids the right way, even when they're making constant mistakes. But Talk they're people. Right now? They're only kids. They're only kids. Talking about Saginaw. Sorry, are you, so you say, was yeah. that talking about Saginaw at that time? Yep, talking about Sag. That's cool. That's just why right, I, I, I was just To give you one last fucking, you know, another tire pump, that culture in Sarnia when I was there was so bad. There were so many problems, and I'm not going to point the finger at anybody. Um, it, but the way you guys were able to turn that around, 
like looking back on it was unbelievable. Um, so props to you guys and what you did. Um, I remember I used to call it the Sarnia library because it was so damn quiet in there. Hey, you'll think this is funny. I actually, that year I retired, I did some play by play with Terry Doyle. Terry, beauty. Fucking Terry, man. Can you imagine me and Terry in the booth? Oh, 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 no. But no, hey, big props to what you were able to turn around there. And so Hatch is still there, right? Hatch is there. Leggy's there. Sinclair's moved on. Uh, he's actually going to be scouting with the LA uh, Kings this year. Um, they've got Brad Stobbins there now, ex-player, ex-fighter wow. in the NFL. Stobbins like second and on two, like salt to the earth, just fantastic dude. Loves the kids, loves player development there for the right reasons. I have two more questions about the guys you coached in Sarnia and then we'll move on. You had Tony D'Angelo. How was he? Unbelievable. Misunderstood. Like I know you see his social media and he's a big Trump supporter and he can be controversial, but he takes a lot you know, of shit for that. Yeah. He's a, he's a good dude though. Like he's a competitor. He sometimes, yeah, he gets maybe crosses the line with, stuff that comes out of his mouth, but it's not, it's not meant to be like, he's not a vicious human being. He's just so competitive, man. Like he wants to win more than any player I've ever coached bar none. And hey, his, sometimes boots, people his boots, uh, when I first saw him was unbelievable. The way he's able to go 10 to two and create space and be deceptive going back to get pucks. That was awesome. And then that, that 2015, what about Cairo? Did he, where did he end up? Is he in the, is he in the national? St. Louis. Yep. He's been up and down St. Louis. He's probably played like 30 some odd games. I don't know off the top of my head this year, but he was up for a bunch of games this year and plays in the American league. He was there. He was 16 and 17 when I was there. So last two, and I don't know, I think you were there for these. <laughs> and um, Travis Konechny. Yeah, I was there for both. Chicky, when I came in, it was Chicky's first year. We just drafted him first overall. So for his two years, I was with him and TK that was my last year there. We made for the trade form at the deadline. He made the NHL the, year, the next year at 19. I just became a – Dwayne gives me shit all the time. I have become a huge Philly fan, um, partially because Carter Hart, but I just like, uh, you know, Kevin Hayes. But, hey, let's not get ourselves. TK is, is a horse. I think he's got a bright future. He has a bit of edge to his game. I think he's only going to get a little bit more refined. So, as a kid, though, character-wise, does he have what it takes to – to continue to be a, uh, you know, a top six guy and contribute? Yeah, no question. Competitive in everything he does, ultra skilled, all about the team, not about him. One of the uh, coolest kind of kids that I've ever coached for sure. Like I learned a lot just being around him, how he carries himself and how he goes about his business, but he's the real deal, man. He is the real deal. And then finishing up um, with Chick, he was a pretty high pick, right? Or he, did he slide a little bit towards the draft? Yeah, he slid like he was rated to be in the top 10. He went 18th overall, but and everybody's like, well, Chikrin slid. He was like one of three guys out of that draft class to play in the NHL at 18. Like he's absolute he's a horse. Like He's a horse, man. I've never seen a guy like physically conditioned as much as him. And everything he did was about being a pro. Like he, yeah. he was just there for one reason and, and business-like. And we made him an assistant captain at 16 because he had the presence, but he was and, sick. And, and when I saw stuff like that and when he first got in the league, like um, he, he didn't step into a great situation, but I heard uh, – because is my uh, he was in Phoenix, right? Yeah. My first cousin is the head of their social team, and, and she said when I first met him, I, I, had to, I, I did not think he was our new rookie just because of the way he carried himself. So 
big testament to what you got you and Lucy were able to do and Hatcher and there in Sarnia. So thanks, Dwayne. I'm sorry, I had to get that out of the way, man. I it was a couple years after I left the league and and Lutz is probably one of my favorite coaches. So thank you for for uh Dwayne, thank you for giving me a little leeway. Um go ahead. A little? A little a little leeway? Hold I'm on, sorry, little. man. I got a little well, buddy, 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 you said you said one last thing about six <laughs> times in the last twenty minutes. Two more things. One last thing. Like Jesus Christ, man! Like I'm just I'm, I'm in the back seat. I'm in the back seat. Windows are open. It's the middle of winter. Fuck Dwayne. You know whatever. Nobody gives a shit what he has to say. Jesus Christ, man! You know, you know, just, just 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 so everybody just so everybody listening knows who can't see this. This kid brought out the OHL jersey for just happens to randomly sitting in the background. He's wearing. No, 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 no! You got your chance to talk. Three episodes. Three episodes. Three episodes it's been here. Wearing his Spitfires hoodies. He's wearing his hat. Like, he's all excited. He's ramped up six to midnight. Double timeout. Yeah, yeah double timeout. Three out. episodes. I'm going, uh, right I'm going right to a skate after this. I'm just being prepared. Preparation, baby. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Chris, again, uh, you know, now that, now that um, you know, I've had a lot of time to catch my breath, you know, since the start of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, um as Kelly said, you've been with the you've been with Saginaw for four years, two years as a head coach. Uh, you know, in 2019, you guys had a great year. You lost in the third round. Uh, you know, 45 wins, 17 uh, losses. Didn't get to finish this past season, obviously because of COVID and the situation we're all in. But there is one player that comes to mind when thinking about your roster, and that is uh, Cole Perfetti, um, who may or may not be there when our beloved Sabers draft at eighth overall. But we just we want to pick your brain a little bit on the player himself because there's a lot of hype around this kid. Um, we had Scott Wheeler on a few episodes, uh, actually last episode, and he was very high on him. I you asked Cully since episode one or two. I have been very high on Cole. Yeah, I'll give get, you that. Um, very, very high on Cole. Um, one of the things, and Scott even agreed um, on Cole is he seems to see things develop before they happen. Every time he enters the zone. Um, you know, he, you know, he's always one or two steps ahead of the defenders and he has a hockey sense that, you know, not many of the, not many of this draft class, in my opinion, you know, possess Especially as far as his playmaking so ability. Advanced. Oh, his hockey IQ is through the roof. So I, you know, we just want to pick your brain on, on that because I, you know, as far as the coaches we've gotten to uh, come on two goalies on Mike with us, uh, you, you in particular, I'm most interested to talk to just because of Cole. Yeah, well, to go back to my playing career, I was basically Cole Perfetti with bad boots. So I just wanted to paint that, paint that picture for you guys. But uh, you know what? You hit the nail on the head, man. Like this guy, I don't give a shit what people say. Everyone like knocks his skating and he's not big enough. He is the best player in the draft class, bar none. And I know I'm partial because I'm, I'm his coach. But if I take that title away and I just step back and I, and I look at hockey players, like this guy is unbelievable, man. Like his – It's how strong he's in his edges when he gets – he, he, He's a great skater. I always chirp people. I say he's a bad skater. I say, bullshit, why? Because he doesn't go fast straight. How many guys go 30 feet, 40 feet without being touched as fast as they can in the NHL? No his way. change of direction is ridiculous. But like you mentioned, he reminds me a little bit of Pat Kane, the way he's able to not avoid contact – but kind of use it to, to propel off of him. For not being a big guy, he, he uses his puck protection. And in that moment, like Dwayne was saying, he's able to find lanes that aren't there yet. And that, to me, is just it's, – it's fun to watch, brother. So there's that goal, like Nikita Kucherov coming through the neutral zone, turns a stick blade flat, kind of elevates the puck in the playoffs. Do you guys remember that? 
Say yep. that one more time in the playoffs. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. When he, goal. Kucherov's coming through the neutral zone. He's got that pass. He turns his blade to kind of elevate it. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cole Perfetti does that shit all the time. Like, he is so advanced, and he can do stuff at a high rate of speed. Like, that's what makes him so special is he doesn't need to slow things down think about that play. Naturally, he would make that same type of play. This kid is so elite. He's in love with working out now. Like, he, the last two years, he's really kind of – understood the value of working out nutrition he's starting to put on a lot of muscle when he physically matures and gets to where he needs to be like he is going to crush teams and if you put him with better players that think on his level or have the skill at his level like man the sky's the limit for this guy he's going to be one of those elite players of this draft class that goes down to have one of those all-time careers like uh, he's so good and i've been around a lot of special ones in, in my years in the ohl first round picks and real high-end players and this guy's like light years ahead let me ask you yeah. one thing on that note, real quick, Dwayne. Um, it was not this past year without the playoffs. The year before, I think you guys made it to the Western Conference Finals, right? Yeah. He was dominant. And in that series, what was it, against Guelph? Against Guelph, yeah. In your, oh, Dwayne, you don't know this. The starting goalie uh, for your team, the, uh, the, the European guy, who was it, uh, Ivan? Ivan Prozvatov. Can you please tell us really quick what happened like, and how he got tossed? Yeah, so we, you know what, we're, we're up one game to none. We're cruising. And I'm sitting on the bench. It's a 2-1 game, I believe, at the time. And it's one of those games, there's like six minutes to go. You just know you're not going to lose. Like, they can't get in our zone. We're dominating. I'm like, this is great. We're going to go up 2 nothing. Like, our, we're humming. One of our best defensemen takes a five-minute major penalty. And, and they score twice on that five on three. Well, Ivan rattled at one of the goals they dump a puck in on him and he's done it multiple times before in his defense where when he they sh on a penalty kill a team will shoot a puck in on him he'll grab it throw it in the air and bat it like a baseball he's done it multiple times that year and a lot of russian goalies actually do that as a strat well he hammered this fucking thing like 15 rows into the stands and it's an automatic five game suspension we lost him for the rest of the playoffs and the end of the day, we were up 3-1 in the series. We ended up losing the series. Our 16-year-old goalie, Tristan Lennox, who will be one of the top goalies he, next draft. He even played well, though, man, for those first couple of yeah, games. Yeah, he did. Unreal. Like, Lennox is the real deal. He's He's been to the World Junior Camp at 18. He's played U18s, U7. He's going to be a first or second round NHL pick. Like, he's the real deal. He's not the reason why we lost the series. But Ivan was, like, unbelievable in the playoffs we probably had to walk right to the whole thing so just so everybody knows all right uh Saginaw was rolling the, the they they win this game they go to they go to the OHL finals I forgot who was hosting that year was it an OHL host uh the Memorial Cup that year was in uh Halifax okay so you wouldn't have won if if it was somebody in the east never mind so you're you know you win that series against a, a tough golf team but that you had more skill. It would have been a good match, but you guys were rolling in that game too. Dwayne, we all like to flip the puck and bat it away, right? This I guy, used love, I used to love he it. hammered it, buddy. This thing went like 15 rows deep, am I right? Go watch YouTube. It's it's there. Oh, and, <laughs> it's uh, there. You know I was following along, and I was um, – because Tip was Tippett there, or did he get called up? Yeah, Tip was there. We had, we had an unreal team. Was Tippett playing with Cole? Yeah, they were. We at, at that time, I think it was Tippett McLeod and Fetz were aligned, like one of the best lines in the league. Um, yeah, we're humming. I'll sell in, in Ivan's defense, though. I've never seen a guy like just. Hello? 
halfways down. And hey, hey, can uh, you repeat that? You froze. Hey, Chris, can, can you? Uh, Chris, you froze. Can you repeat that? We'll just edit it out. Yeah, just just talking about Ivan, like in his defense, because I know we're. It's a like he the the remorse on him and like just I've never seen a kid feel so bad about making a mistake. Oh, yeah. that was he knew. People gotta understand our rink, like our rink was sold. The dollar one center, baby. It was a jungle, man. Like one of the league officials, they send league officials out to the conference final, one to each conference final. So they've been like some of these guys have been to twelve or thirteen conference finals, and and the guy working ours said, "I've never seen an environment like this in my life." Like we're giving away two dollar beers. You can imagine we haven't been in the conference final ever. It was a jungle. Can I give a little bit of background? So, Dwayne, the, I, I never liked playing in Saginaw for a couple of reasons, uh, because Trochak would absolutely abuse me. They also had Josh Shala. He might still be up there in your all-time leading goal scorer list. Um, and uh, Pasquale was your goalie. Um, but not only that, where the rink is at the time, it wasn't a great area. Like, if you were an injured or a scratch player, they told you not to leave the rink. I heard it's gotten better. But the rink itself, um, at that time, they weren't drawing really well. But I heard when you guys went on those runs, this thing was a madhouse. Oh, here's so Bodie Wild got sent back this year from the American League. And we won a game in North Bay. It was like our sixth win in a row. I walk into the locker room and huge heated argument going on. So I'm like, I'm in my head. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with these guys? Like we're humming right now. We just got Bodie back and I got guys fighting in the locker room, not fighting, but arguing and they were just unhappy with, with not playing the right way. So Bodie stands up to give you an idea of what the environment was. And he started talking about why he wanted to come back from the American league and unfinished business and started like talking about here too. We're talking about. Yeah. Big time player. Like any, and he started talking about the conference final and he held his arm out and he goes, look guys, the hairs on my arm are standing up right now. And I'm not kidding you. Like he was, he had pins and like just excitement about, being back in that environment. That's how special it was. I fucking love I am I am now a huge Bodie Wild fan. That's fucking what that's you what can't, you can't you can't match that kind of passion, man, and that type of that well, type of adrenaline. You, you can't you can't teach it. Yeah, you can't match that. That's fine. Um, yeah. One of the things obviously uh, actually if I have a direct quote here from you for Chris, actually straight from Scott Wheeler's article, he said in um, he's just scratching the surface, specifically with his body, as you as you mentioned before. If his body was more advanced, he'd be challenging for the first spot. When you look at this draft class 10 years from now, he'll be one of the top guys. And I, I, I tend to agree with you, man. Um, he's always ranked third um, uh, for me in this draft class, uh, not because uh, uh, a lack of skill or talent. Um, the only reason he wasn't two, because I've always just liked Quentin Byfield's size. Like, you, you, where one thing you can't teach is size, and he always like, – not, not specifically his play – but he's always, you know, how, how, how he's built coming out of this draft, he always remind me of, like, an Eric Lindros type of player. And uh, yeah, that's one thing you can't teach boots. at center. Huh? Sorry, never mind. You said Lindros had boots? Lindros had much better boots than, than – I agree. I agree. But I, I'm just telling – I'm just saying his build. You're like, right. You're for right. his you, sake, you know what I mean? Like, like he, he's, he, he's built like a man already. You know, he's right – you know – you know, that's some, there's, that's, that's some, one of the things I think that we're lacking here in Buffalo is guys of his size and skill. But Cole, you know, again, when it comes to hockey IQ, I think he ranks first in this draft class, hands down, hands down. What really surprised me in watching some of the highlight tapes is how he is able to um, not only identify space when he has the puck, but by going into areas that will draw defenders to him that will open up lanes for his teammates. Um, and that to me is, is a skill that you can't teach, right? 
and it goes back to what you talked about and um, earlier, guys, just about how he how he's able to be, you know, find those passing lanes. But I just think that you know he processes the game at such a high level. Granted, I have a limited viewing of him, um, but Dwayne, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back on this. You can't teach size, but we all know that the game is trending towards speed, right? And I right. think with, with Cole Perfetti, even look at a guy like um, in Chicago, Debrinket. Now, now he's now he's real small, and I don't think he possesses nearly any of the the A tools that Perfetti does. So that's for me. It's it's less of a question mark, and and it's more of a if this guy can find a way. Because I mean, I really do. The one thing that stuck out, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, um, is like going into in down low below the goal line. Just how he's able to go, you know, 10 to 2 with a mohawk turn, however you want to call it, and just create separation. Am I wrong there? No, you're dead on. He loves guys to try to close on him, and then he, then he, that's where he becomes special. Like, you close on him, and he, you know, will cut and play off bad feet and all these things, and then all of a sudden now he's got to draw a second guy to him, and then boom, makes the play. Now, if um, – how much, how much contact have you had with him throughout this process? You know what, a lot. We've talked quite often, you know, not even just about the draft, but about next year and different things. And uh, he actually called me this week. And on Tuesday, I'll be at his draft party. He wanted me to come to his draft party in Whitby. So, um, That's awesome, man. That good for you. That just speaks to the coach you are and the type of kid he is. For sure. And the way he did it was, like, so professional. I, I told my wife, like, not to – it was almost, like, cute in the way, the way he did it. Like, he was – calling all professional and I could tell in his voice that he was wanted to talk about something different than just like, Hey lads, what's going on? He was all almost like uh, inviting you to like a semi-formal type oh, thing. He was, he was all nervous. Man, but so, it's that, it's that innocence that just shows that this kid, it loves the game. You know what I mean? And he hasn't yeah. been corrupted by, and I, and I, you know, he hasn't been, you know what I mean? His love for the game is pure and in his, to me, his ceiling is limitless, right? Like, I, I really think so. I, I, let me ask you this. Um, in, in best case scenario, his ceiling, where does he project if he, if he like hits his ceiling, you know, in five, 10 years, can he be a, a first line, you know, top, top six or like, where, where do you see him if he pans out the way he can? Honestly, I see a, a Nikita Kucherov, huh. like carb copy player. Legit. And Cooch played Cooch played in the queue. Like you watch Kucherov if you can find any Quebec League footage, like it's like watching Cole Perfetti at, at that age. Like they are they're similar players, man. It's scary. So watching some of his highlights on the power play, where did you guys like to use him? You know what? We used them everywhere. We used them on the left flank, the right flank, the net front to run behind the net plays. We used them in the bumpers sometimes. Like we used him everywhere. That we had to keep moving him around because they would keep him to this key on him and it wasn't it was just he's only so many schemes you run so sometimes we just throw a wrinkle put him on the other flank and you know give him a different look but all over all over like it's, I bring up a specific example that I I you know I I, I I'm, I'm like a nerd when it comes to this you guys are running a traditional uh umbrella with uh you know one of the backside net front guys that will pop out at the bumper um it goes you know it goes from Perfetti on his one side to the top um, back across, but then Cole sneaks down way low towards the bottom of the circle, gets that return pass, and, and now the way he's able to attack the net as a lefty, he's got everybody puck watching, right? And it's just it's just amazing that he's able to, to find that. It ends up in a goal. Um, he takes one step to get that top forward uh, PKer to commit, 
and hits the backside seam guy. Just an incredible look. I know exact goal. I think you're talking. He hits Koski. He just seams it. And it's boom in the net. Right. And, that, and that's the thing is like you, we almost call it window dressing. Like we want to kind of swing the puck away from them, get it back. So when PKs are rotating and trying to get their coverage after the puck's gone from basically one flank to the other, that is where Cole thrives because they're all worried about getting in position. He's just waiting for the seam to hit his guy. So, yeah, that's you give that guy time and space, like in the NHL on those type of power plays with better coaching and better players. Like, oh, fuck, yeah. his, he's going to crush teams. Unbelievable. Dwayne, it goes back to what you said, how he's able to utilize his skill set. And, and you got to remember, it plays into the opposing team's penalty kill, right? Because, you know – there's a, there's a scouting report. This was a culture shock to me when I got to the OHL, that there's a scouting sheet before every game on the, on the opposing team, right? And with the majority of the players, it's a quick write-up. Like, mine was, guys, get pucks on the sky early and often. But um, with, with Cole, like, there's no easy way to defend him, right? And, and Dwayne, going back to what you said, he, he almost thrives on that. And he's being able – his hips are so deceptive to me, Chris. As a goalie, I look to, you know, more hips in, in the angle of hands. And, and I've seen in the clips uh, that, I, that I have had the chance to see just how his ability to change the shot angle but also be so deceptive, um, you know, with his, where, where he's moving the puck. So that's got to be a fun guy for you to coach in your skill sessions, no? Oh, yeah. Like, he, uh, uh, he's so deceptive. And, and you know what? Like, you learn a lot as a coach when you watch a video with him and you ask what he saw or what do you think. And he starts giving you – kind of how he broke down the play or what he's seeing in coverage and it's like it's mind-blowing for a player to be that advanced because he's talking about stuff like he as a coach you haven't thought about and you start to grow as a coach because you're like man like that's an interesting idea and all of a sudden it opens up this rabbit hole where you start really spinning your brain so those guys those elite guys like that that you get to work with like they push you as a coach because they're so much farther advanced than than we are and that's why they're elite and that's what makes hey. them better coaches no yeah, and I, 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 I agree. One of the things you mentioned there, Chris, was uh, how you've utilized him all over the ice, essentially. You can't say that about every single guy uh, in this draft class where you can literally – you can plug him in anywhere and, you know, he's just as effective as any other guy, if not obviously better. Um, one, of the, one of the highlights I saw on YouTube with him is um, it was against the Flint Firebirds. It was a three-on-two. He picks the puck up uh, – um, in your end, and he's not exactly coming through with a ton of speed like he's, like he's coming in with a ton of speed. He's almost coasting, but he's looking off both his wingers, just looking off them, and then he's maybe about 15 feet from, from, from the crease, and he draws both those defensemen into him, and he uses them as screen and just snizzes this goalie, like, effortlessly. And that just you know, goes back to what we were talking about, just having that ability just to look off both his wingers, look off both his wingers, draw those defensemen and use them as a screen, and just – effortlessly score that goal. I know exactly what you're talking about there, too, because he's got Bodie Wild going to the back post. He's yep. coming in three on two, but if you watch, he does a slight kind of one-foot shave, just enough to slow down his pace to get that separation between him and the defense. Yeah, and again, we're talking about – Because it forces the defenseman to regap, and at that point right now, Cole has him in his pocketbook. Either too deep. And now he is looking – he is looking to kind of see when you look at him scan. He's trying to see what defenseman might jump him. And if they jump him, where is that quick pass? So if say his left defenseman jumps him, can he slide it to that winger on the outside who walks in and creates another two-on-one? But 
he's also like while well, he's looking kind of checking out the goalie and he and he like you said he sees the hole and he takes the shot he, he could have easily in his sleep made that pass if you watch that clip again look how wide open Bodie Wild is back door. oh they're both they're both wide not even just Bodie they're both wide open but he drew yeah. those defensemen to him and backed that goalie in he, like one of the easiest goals I've ever I've seen him score yeah, um, and most guys would panic and, tr- and force to pass there, but he's just like Mr. Cool. He's been there a thousand times, like knows what he's going to do, just waits for his opportunity and, and score. I've seen so many three-on-twos with really good players, maybe not as good as him, but good players that kind of feel like they have to make a pass, and uh, he's just elite like that, man. So hey, I want to finish with this. Um, I, I hate to draw comparisons, but uh, growing up with Patty Kane um, and, and, you know, being close enough in his age, they would always need a goalie. So I would go out with him. But Pat's ability to change – as a goalie, we're, we're taught to, on a breakaway to match the speed, right? Match the depth, right? Same yep. idea with a defender in theory, right? So but with Cole's, so his ability, like you mentioned, to not only slow down but then instantly accelerate and kind of put them where he wants them, um, I just think that that's showing – how advanced his IQ is, and it, it and it's just it's it's fun, man. This has been a great breakdown, Chris. I uh, I really appreciate your insight on this. So, um, with the way the draft's going, um, I've I I've seen Perfetti go as high as three. Um, for me personally, I would love to see Rossi or Perfetti. I don't think they get to eight. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean those are two elite players. Like I, it's, it's such a weird draft. I do think he goes for Perfetti to. Detroit, and I have zero inside information to give you on that. That's just my gut. Well, yeah. But if, if, if you end up with – if you guys end up with Rossi or Perfetti, like Buffalo's got a player, man, because both those, those are my top. Are, those are my top two, my most realistic two, my top two. If Cole Perfetti – like, I, I, for me, for the last month, it's been Rossi because he's the one realistically I can see dropping to us down at eight. Um, but if Perfetti's there – even if, even if Perfetti's there at six, either of them they're at six. Like, I've always been a big advocate, trade up, get them, because these two guys, the value at that pick, because in my opinion, they're top three guys, especially Perfetti. If you can if you can trade up and get them, if they're still there at six, you do it in a heartbeat. You, you trade what you have to. And, and Dwayne, I don't disagree, and um, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of one of those rooms because you just don't know what it's going to take, right? Exactly. Now, um, Chris, are you involved with any of the general manager stuff? No, you know what? We got a great GM and Dave Drinkle and Brian Prout's our assistant GM. And obviously Dave and I, he's the same age as me. We have a great relationship, but I don't, uh, I told him when I got hired, I have zero interest in any of that. I just want to coach. Now I'm pretty sure you guys had an old goalie coach. Uh, he's working with the Metro Jets now. Oh man. Oh, this is killing me. Oh, he's been around forever. Phil Muir. The big guy? Is it Phil Muir or Phil Meyer? Oh man, this is going to kill me. Um, I'll come back to it, but um, one. Oh, AJ? One, Are you talking about AJ? Like muscled big? What? No, no, like fat big, older guy. Works for the Metro Jets now. He, <laughs> was, he was in the OHL with them. It was he's not there now. It was with Pasquale, but he's he's a he's a character. Um, I had a. I know we can't keep you much longer, but I, hey, Chris, at the, at, at, after the draft, man, or even going forward, um, I would love to have you back on, man. This has been incredible. Um, one last question for me. I, I passed over it. Abel Zaka, did you have him? I did for two years. Two now, years. what was he like? And is he anywhere? Like, I don't even know where he's at right now. Still in Jersey, playing Jersey. kind of second, third line, second PP, big time PK guy. Absolute horse. 
like uh, maybe not a first-line NHL player, but a guy that – like those Chris Draper types, that second, third-line guy that gets you through the glue in those tough games. Like he – He's still a young kid, man. People say he was sixth overall. They chirp his career maybe at this point, but he's still young and he's just starting to get better in the NHL. Now, we're, he, he started in Sarnia, right? We had him at 18 and we had him at 19 for two years. And then did you have anything to do with him coming over? Uh, no, I didn't, to be honest. we dra- That summer he got drafted in the import draft is the summer I got hired. Okay. Uh, Nick Sinclair, like they a lot of – team said don't take him he's not going to come to you guys like just don't do it and i hate that up. about saginaw i absolutely hate that because what you guys have been able to do the rink is phenomenal and, and the way that you guys bill it people across the bridge on the nice side of town i've heard nothing but good things from the players you know what i mean mm-hmm. so when when saginaw or erie get that stigma that pisses me off you know what you talked you said the rink a long time ago it wasn't a great place they have a revitalize uh, riverfront going on in Staginaw. They have for a few years. Unreal now. Like they've done so much down at the river and where the rink is. It's, and we just put a million dollars into our dressing room a year ago. So oh, you know what? Ri- um, Biz Nasty, when he came down, he was talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was, that was, that was a night. That's a whole different story. Boy. Oh, he I love that. it. Hey, so <laughs> next time, if we can get you on, can we hear a little bit more about that? For sure. For um, sure. I, I love it. I have one, one question though. If um if we're just able one to- more thing, Chris. Chris, just one more thing. Just one more. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh man. No. But hey, if me and Dwayne are able to make it when OHL hockey starts, can we come catch a Saginaw game? Absolutely. Fuck, would love to have you guys down. And you I know, love you know who you're down like here. To? It's like dealing with Warren Reichel. Like you uh, you talk to GMs that made a trade, they make a trade with Reichel, and right before he hangs up the phone, he's like, Oh yeah, just throw in another second for me there. I promise you, I promise you, Chris, the second this border opens up, man, if the, if this, if the, if, if, you know, they start allowing fans in the stands and you want to come down here to Buffalo, man, I will gladly bring you to a Bills game, dude. You'll treat, Wait, so we'll, you, treat you I, first I, class I, here. Are you still in, are you still in Canada? Yeah, I, I go back to Saginaw next week. Okay, so you got your visa all cleared? Yeah. Speaking of Warren Reichel, I got to tell one quick Warren Reichel story. So I get to Windsor. Um, that year, Bugner was still coaching with Columbus, right? So Bob Jones took over. DJ Smith was our assistant, and Warren was our GM. Good thing I have to rip his shit right now. Um, I, and I didn't know anything about Warren Reichel, right? Um, these guys, after every practice, whatever goalie, me or Jack Campbell wasn't starting, would have to stay out there for their three-on-three. And these guys were fucking going at it. They Legendary. Legendary. Oh, yes, and I loved it. It was great. Um, the best part, though – Mid, this was when we still had Cassian and Ellis. Cassian uh, took a stupid penalty. We're in the locker room. Most GMs don't walk into the locker room in intermissions, right? Not that I heard of. Right. And I'd never seen it before. Reichel walks down, motherfucks Cassian from the doorway. Cass takes the hangers, throws them down, says, what the fuck are you going to do, Warren? And um, they, they go. And there wasn't any punches thrown, but they were about to. It took DJ Smith. It took fucking Nick Zinder, man. It was fucking unbelievable. But Warren did a lot for my career. I could tell story upon story about that guy. Um, he can. Oh, fuck off, Blaine. He's he one of my favorites in the league, man. I love that guy. I tell you one thing about his three-on-three. Like, when he was coaching in Barry, this fucking guy would try to arrange morning skates versus the other staff. Oh, <laughs> like, he it. it was so competitive. Yeah, they went at it. So competitive. So competitive. Um, the funniest thing too with that is they would always say, I'm like, why do you guys going so hard? 
and uh, DJ Smith would be like, Cole, we're playing guilty, son. And then they'd hit the sauna room. Oh, I loved it. Oh, I loved it. Um, I'm sure we could go for another hour and a half, but I mean it, Chris. If we can get you back on here soon after the draft, would that, are you open to that? 100%. Would love to come back. Um, Thanks, Chris. You've been an absolute beauty, man. Um, one thing before we go. Just one more thing, Chris. Just one more thing. No, no, no. I want to, I'm, I'm going to edit this out. I got a, I lost the note. Um, can you give me uh, Perfetti's uh, thing again? Fets, like F-E-T-T-S, friends. Okay. And Fets, friends. So after okay. that, anything else we can do to, to plug? Because um, you guys aren't even close to preseason or anything like that, right? No, November 15th, as of right now, November 15th camp couple exhibition games and we start on December 1st unless something changes man I, I mean I'm sorry this had to go quick but this was one of my favorite interviews buddy you have such a bright future and uh, I've heard nothing but good things man and, and keep doing what you're doing I I'm being serious I Dwayne I want to go down to the Dow Center I would love to see the turnaround because I, I thought it was a cool area but like you, you go down to that gas station a couple blocks over and it was but I've heard good things, man. And just to see, like when I was in that division, man, it wasn't as strong, you know, it was, you know, Plymouth had Wilson and, um, and Sagan and all those guys and everybody was strong. Uh, so to see you guys come and fucking do it. Uh, but one other question, um, the guy that's in Florida, Owen, hey, hey. <laughs> no, 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 no. Owen, <laughs> what, what's going on with Owen? Oh, uh, Tippy, he'll be, you know what, look at his numbers in the American League. Like he, one of the top rookies, if not the top rookie score, had an unreal American League year, probably pushed for a roster spot this year. He's just, just on the cusp. What is it about? Is it his foot speed? Is, 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 is one thing lacking him for making that next jump? Because he was dominant at times in the O. Yeah, he's, he's going to be an NHL player. He'll be like a 12, 15 year guy. Just be a little bit more consistent. Like I think, you know, he's, and I think he's learned that this year about being consistent with and without pucks. And he's an NHL player, man. He's a talent and an unreal kid. You would love this kid. Special. Uh, Dwayne, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, Chris. Like, again, thanks again for coming on with us. I really appreciate it, man. Um, you know, I know we said, I know we said 25 to 35 minutes. Sorry to keep it for three and a half hours. That's fine. Uh, I got excited, just, just, boys. One, just one more thing. Just one more, just one more thing. Oh, by the way, two more things. And after that, I have one more thing. I do actually have one more thing. My so, favorite jersey of all – I'm going to ask all three of you. Favorite jerseys of all time. You spent some time with the St. Michael's buzzers. Between yeah. them and the St. Mike's majors, the, one, the, the ones they wore for the Mem Cup with the blue, baby blue, and the, the gold trim around the, the shamrock, I'm in love with those jerseys. As a goalie, it gets the wheel spinning. Those are my favorite jerseys of all time. Your favorite jersey, go. Oh, Maple Leafs. Oh, come on. Not fine. No NHL teams. Um, uh, you know what? I would say our spirit blue jersey is pretty sick. Our blue and red. Like it's, the red it's on the pretty, shoulders? Yeah, I think it's pretty sick. Those are a classy look. Um, I fucking hate the Windsor jersey. Just to throw that out there. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're talking about not the old <laughs> ones that we wore when we won the Mem Cups, right? No, no, I'm just – I'm joking with you. I, oh, I, I, he's fucking uh, stirring the pot. He's stirring the pot. Hey, bad news for you. Let's go. Um, no, um, Dwayne, your answer on that question. Um, I've always been a fan of uh, London's, uh, London sweaters. Oh, that's They're such a fucking knife in the heart, man. Yeah. Man, it sucks to suck, Holly. I'm sorry. 
Well, I mean, hey, if we had fucking two million a year to throw around and buy guys Range Rovers and uh, oh wait, that was us. Uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, seriously, Chris, thanks for they're coming on. Uh, always good to talk to a fellow OHL guy because Dwayne uh, fucking makes me feel like uh, I haven't cut the umbilical cord. But no, because you haven't. Seriously, yeah. uh, tell Lucy I said hello. I would love to get that guy on. He was one of the best coaches. Had the Biggest influence on me in such a tough time in my career when I considered hanging him up. Um, and every time I ran into him after the fact, he was such a great dude. So, um, hey, it, it, your success that's come is a testament to, to just who you are as a person. And I can see why all the boys that uh, you coach are, are buying into what you're doing, man. So I think the future's so bright with you, and I can't, I can't wait to see what's next. And uh, like I said, hopefully we can have you back on after the draft to talk about Profetti to Buffalo. For sure. I would love that. Hopefully the Bills are 4 or 5 and 0 oh by then, so we're all good. This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting, ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support, and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to this next episode, episode 35 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I am here without my co-host, Johnny Cullen. Uh, He had some prior obligations, but... No fear. I have Ty B joining me too. And we have a amazing guest on tap for you guys. We have Andre Torini, the head coach of uh, the Ottawa 67s, um, most notably known to everyone else as Bear. Bear, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, thank you Tyler, to, to have me in. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, um, so, you know, this past season for you in Ottawa, obviously it was cut short um, with, you know, what we spoke a little bit off, off air with uh, the pandemic. Um, you know, how are you holding up? Are you, you obviously back up in Ottawa now? Yeah, absolutely. We're back, uh, back on track. We, uh, we're preparing the season. We should, our player training camp should start uh, November 15 and the, the season and the early December. And then at the same time, I'm coach of uh Team Canada for the World Junior, so a lot of work with the national junior team as well. So uh, we do a video scouting. Uh, we went to scout in Quebec, the Quebec Lake this weekend with our GM Al Millard. So we uh, keep ourselves really busy right now. Yeah, absolutely, man. If you, actually, can you just give us like a little, a little bit more insight into that too? Because you just use a set of video scouting. Um, how is our things changed with the, with the exception of the obvious? Like how, how have things changed for you now coming into this next season, starting in November? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of new things. It's, uh, it's like everybody in the, in the, uh, 
on the planet right now in a sense of we we had to find ways to do things differently and to get results so we um we evaluate about between 80 and 90 player across the country through video so uh, the coaches of the national junior team plus the management every week we have a, a list of player we need from eight to ten player we want to watch two to three a game each uh, where we evaluate those player uh, we, we do a list we do a meeting zoom meeting every week and we uh, we talk about those player we, we rank them and we go on week after week we did that for the summer the virtual summer showcase to to basically have the 40, 45 player we had to to find who was for us the top 45 player. And now we're, we're doing it again because now it's a, it's a different, you know, basically the first round of evaluation, we were looking for talent, pure talent. Now it's a little bit different. Now we're looking to build our team. Yes, we need talent. I know that, but we need player in different roles. We need, we, we, we're looking more in depth. You know, not just okay, the skill, hockey sense, uh, those kind of thing. We need we need more uh, now to build a team. So who can play in which situation, and um, a little bit more about work ethic. Which at the first we were looking less. Now we're, we're we're digging a little bit deeper on work ethic and role and physicality and play under pressure and play inside and those kind of things. So uh, it's a little bit of a different uh, different vision of thing and um, I think it's good because all the players we're watching right now we did watch them early on this summer so we took different game and we were digging deeper if you want on each player so give us a best read a, b- a better read um, on all of them and uh, the objective is to, um, to find with uh, our um, pre-tournament camp so selection camp uh, to find who will be in our team. So I think we want to shortlist the best uh, player as possible. Yeah. Uh, speaking on that, actually, um, you know, fun fact here, one of my very good friends just was hired uh, in New Jersey, in uh, North Jersey for the North, North Jersey avalanche, uh, Anthony day. And he's uh, actually not just coaching, but living with your first round pick, uh, Nicholas Nick. Mollenhauer. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Can we, can we That's get a little good. insight on him uh, that Anthony probably hasn't already given me? Uh, I hope I didn't give you a lot, but Nick is a, a lot of hockey sense, a lot of skills. Uh, he's a good kid. He can play both sides of the park. He uh, can play center. He can play wing. He has a lot of hockey sense. He's the type of player we like in the, here in Ottawa. He's a player who can, uh, has a lot of upside. You know, it's not just uh, where he is now. It's where, what he can become. So we pride ourselves to have a good development program and to we do a lot for our player on and off the ice to develop them. And I think Nick will have the brain and the skill to, uh, to, to reach uh, the highest level. Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of funny when, when, uh, cause I'm actually best friends with Anthony's uh, older brother and uh, he was running a clinic here in Buffalo called days or hockey. And uh, it was going fairly well for the both of them. And then, out of nowhere, Anthony just gets this dream job in the USHL and he's gone four days later and he's like, hey, Greg, here, you can take over the whole whole, whole show. It's the clinic shores now. I know. It's like, what? <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I, 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 like I said, I talked to Anthony a little bit about him. It sounds like he's got a bright future. Um, yeah. And just, I mean, just looking at your coaching record in general, man, there's not a lot of guys out there with the experience that you have in the OHL. 
So, um, you know, there's probably some, not probably, there were, there's some great things in store for that kid. Sorry? I said, I, it, the I, 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 I said, just with your coaching record, obviously, you know, a lot of guys have, the, you know, the, the resume you have in the OHL. Uh, so, you know, we're probably, we're not probably, we're expecting great things from this kid uh, once he puts on a 67 sweater. No, absolutely. I think he, yeah, like I said, he's a little bit in the, in the, the mold of a guy like Quinner or uh, guys like Marco in a sense, a lot of hockey sense, a lot of skills. So the rest is all about the compete level and that we'll discover with the time. But the, the information we have right now is this kid has all the tools. So now we, it will be up to us to push him and to, to see uh, this compete level and desire. Because, you know, now in hockey, the skill is one thing, but what makes the difference is the passion, uh, how much passion you have to develop yourself and to, to, uh, to really push yourself and become a player. So that's what we, we want to know. And we do a lot of work to learn to know the character of the player and uh, everything is good in, for more than an hour. I think Moldy has a lot of good, uh, good reference and we want player who has that passion to become a hockey player, not just, not just like to play hockey, just play hockey, passion to get better and passion to improve and passion to do what's needed to become a pro player. Is that what you look for when you're drafting guys into the OHL more than the actual skill that they have at the time they're going into the draft then? Cause it seems mm -hmm. like that's, that's a big part of everything that's going on with the 67s is the development and lots yeah. of guys with high hockey IQ. Yeah, you're, you're right on, Tyler. I think, the, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we can sit here, 20 hockey guy, and start to talk about who's the most talented, Moldy or the guys who got drafted right after, right before, around, and who? The skill at some point. Okay, who's the most skill? Uh, Brendan Point or Anthony Manta or Nico Escher or... Barzell, you know, at some point, okay, this guy is a little bit more of this, this guy, they all, they all, we all agree those guys are all pretty skilled. They're all pretty good yeah, players. Absolutely. You know, so at the end of the day, okay, this guy a little bit more of this, a little bit, at the end of the day, what makes the difference is the drive, the passion to become the best player you could, you know. When the playoffs start, I saw somewhere an article, I, I didn't keep it, but the number of workouts Brendan Point did from the start of COVID to the start of the bubble, and it was unbelievable. He barely took a day off. You know, the number of workouts he made, it was unbelievable. But that's what I'm talking about. Brendan Point's a good player, but he has the passion to be the best version of himself, to, to, to progress, to improve as much as he can in every day. I think that's what makes difference. That's how you win Stanley Cup and how you become champion. And I'm sure you all did the same thing than me. You watched Last Dance. I, I would be my third, my, <laughs> my third time I will watch it too. So I, Michael Jordan was not the first overall pick. Was not the second overall pick. Was not the third overall pick. Was the fourth overall pick. So three guy was supposed to be better. So what what happened there? What happened is. This guy had a, a sickness of competitiveness and passion to become the best version he could be become. There and I go. think that's 
and I think that's the difference between college hockey, you know, and, um, you know, junior and OH in the OHL, you know, CHL, WHL, whichever it may be is, you know, you're getting these kids at, you know, 15, 16 years old. They don't really know the world yet. They, they're, they're, they're still immature in, in a sense, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're still learning so much about not just about yeah. hockey, but about life. Yeah. And to see a kid like Nick, who are you saying, or uh, Nick, who's willing to put that yeah. effort in at this age to get to that next level, that's the difference. You know, yeah, that's so the biggest difference. Um, you know, that it is. And, you know, you know that, that brings me, that brings me to my next, my, uh, my next point is, you know, you have two players in there. I, uh, both centers um, and both Marco Rossi and Jack Quinn. Um, I know elite prospects has Marco um, elite prospects and Scott Wheeler from the athletic head. Uh, Marco ranked as his third, 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 uh, third, uh, third forward um, yeah. on the draft board, as far as this next draft goes. Um, and one of the things that stuck out to me the most when doing my, you know, my digging and my research on him wasn't just like the on ice skill. It was just, and it, these are actually words that came from you out of a, uh, from a true hockey uh, piece that uh, true hockey did was his willingness to dig in and do the work off the ice, the dieting, the gym, just everything that comes with it to get, to get better on the ice, to make, make up for that lack of, that lack of size that we keep hearing about him at five foot nine, five foot nine and a half, just, yeah. just the, the willingness to, to push himself uh, to that next level and listen to him talk too. He just loves hockey. He just loves hockey and coming from Austria where a lot of talent isn't coming out of Austria. I think the highest score, not, I think the highest scoring player from Austria is in fact, Thomas Vanek, yeah. uh, yeah. former Buffalo Sabre. Yeah. Um, a little over 700 points. Um, just, just, just his love for hockey, and he's a family. He's, he, he loves his family too. Another, another yeah. point that was made. Uh, I, these are the things I just love to hear because you can you can sit there and watch all the film you want on a player. You can you, you, you can nitpick everything about his game, but it's off the ice will count, especially at his age. What he's willing to do off the ice to get better. That's exactly you. You bang him. I, I cannot say any better. That's exactly what it is. I think. When you talk to Marco, you talk to him about hockey, his family, or his country. If not, if you start to talk about cars and fashion with Marco, it will be a short discussion. He's a, he, he, he wants to talk about, yeah, he loves his family, like I said, his country, and hockey. He's a hockey passion. And every NHL team I talk about, I say, you will meet Marco. Make sure you have a question about hockey or families or um, country, because if not, Marco is a – He's not the guy who will entertain you the most. He's a really uh, introvert and he's uh, so driven in becoming a hockey player. His life will build around it. His dad was a hockey player and yeah, he, uh, he's really close to his family and decided to come in North America. That showed how driven he is. You know, he, people don't give enough credit to those guys who live home at 15, 16 years old and go in the, not just across the border, across the ocean to play in another country. They won't see their parents. They won't see their, their friends, school, everything. It's They changed their life completely to become a hockey player. So right there, that showed a commitment. That showed you want to be a hockey player. Now, after it's, are you willing to put the effort? Because it's a lot of a hard work. You need to, to sweat and bleed and work really hard, compete really hard. Uh, so when you're willing to do that, that shows a lot of commitment. And Marco is, I think Marco's was good for Jack Quinn because uh, Marco, even if his first year with us, 
was the first year of Jackass. Well, the, the, the drive and the serious of and the passion of Marco, I think, uh, showed a little bit the pad of uh, Jack Quinn. And Jack now is probably the most competitive team in our program. Uh, him and Marco are so competitive. And, you know, when you have a good team, you, you need to look at the leadership first. And Marco and Jack are huge leader in our team. And first and foremost, by their work ethic, by the, their effort, by their commitment. And uh, they're really good example. And, you know, we, there's a junior group right now skating in Ottawa and we're, we're, we're looking them skate and they, there's pro player in the group and everything. And the effort of Jack Quinn is like it's game seven. Just, and we are somewhere in October or September and he, he has only one speed, his ball's out. So that is a good example for the other guys around him. Yeah, looking at Marco coming over, young Austrian player, where have you seen him make the most strides in his game thus far? Is it is it more of learning to use his body at a size? Have you seen his shot improve the most, or what What was it? I will say play, play, uh, playing tight, you know, big ice uh, over there. They, they're used to always look for time and space. Here you need to get inside. You need to – yeah, to be able to play at really fast pace in term of decision, you don't have time and space on the ice. You, okay, you will get some some time in neutral zone where you're so far away from the opponent, but I see when you get uh, either on the breakout or in offensive zone, it's all in tight. So you needed a little bit of time to adjust to the fact you had no time and sp- no time to make play take decision. But he, he adjusts pretty pretty quickly, and then after it's the calendar, it's number of games under a practice, uh, the physicality of it uh, wears you down a little bit. So he needed to adapt. In the second year, he was ready for it. I think he had a he had he he, he came back faster, more quicker. The three step were quicker, and uh, he. Uh, he was so well prepared physically and he, he has so much determination. Marco was never tired. So he was all, his life is built around hockey. So he was no distraction off the ice and everything was built around becoming a hockey player. I think one thing we, uh, again, I will come back to the last dance. One thing we can all learn is how, how much, how many sacrifice, example, Michael Jordan made to become as good as he, as he was, you know, when you lost against Detroit the next day, what he did next day, next day of an elimination was in the gym, you know, the next day. And it was the same when, when he came back from baseball loss, what he did every day, train every day, all day, he did this, his movie and he trained. That's what he did all day. So that's no friends, no downtime, no this Nelan or whatever it is, it's work. So, I'm not sure everybody wants the lifestyle. I'm not sure everybody's willing to put the work. Uh, I'm not sure if it's everybody, you will give them 10 millions a year. I'm not sure those people will take the summer to work every day, all day. Some some people might, might, might enjoy the $10 million. You know what I mean? And I might be a part of those, those who will enjoy the $10 million, But yeah. uh, those guys, they want to... They're special, not just because they have skill. They're special by their the way they're driven and the sacrifice they're willing to make. 
Yeah, absolutely. Another thing, one other quote I pulled um, that really stuck out to me, it was a short one that from you, from that, from that uh, short um, player profile on Marco was, you know, with greatness comes sacrifice. Um, and I think that just kind of speaks to everything we've been talking about the past couple minutes is leaving home at such a young age, you know, and that's that, that, that like just from his own, his own mouth, his own words were one of the toughest things he ever do was leave his family, oh, yeah. leave his parents. And he, and he, and he's, he's, you know, when talking about, you know, the fact that his parents come, come to see him once at once a month or once every two months, he lights up, you know, and you see him in, in a oh, conversation. It's just, you know, that means so much to him. And some, you know, and some, and some scouts and some analysts, they might see that as weakness, you know, you know, you know, he's soft, you know, and I don't at all. I, I, you know, I, I, I personally don't think that at all. I just think the kid's passionate and he's passionate about life. He's passionate about family, he's passionate about hockey. And he puts all those things first. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, you know, uh, it's a big difference doing it when you already make million dollars. Because you can bring your family anytime when you make that kind of money. Marco was, was not in that situation. So I, I, I remember the first time his mom came over. And when Marco started, the face of Marco, the stars in his eyes. And you could, you know, words are words. But action, that's where you can read the most. And remember, you see the reaction of Marco. It was emotional. And he was so happy to see his mom. So that, you realize is even more than you say how much sacrifice it is, you know, and I will take it for me. If my kids at 16 years old will have go play soccer somewhere in Germany, I'm not sure mom will have survived that. And <laughs> same thing with the dad and my kids, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a commitment. So you need to respect that. And uh, people can judge as much as they want. Yeah. Do it. And then you can judge after it's, do it yourself. We'll see if, As a family, I know it was extremely hard for the, for his mother to accept, and I totally understand. Uh, nobody will make me believe. Oh, I don't, don't understand. Was that tough? It is extremely tough. I'm sure about it. I uh, I, I can actually speak testament that my mother, you know, uh, you no, know, she passed away when I was 21. But you know, growing up, um, she wouldn't like she was so overprotective, so concerned about my welfare. I'd be playing street hockey around the corner with my friends. My mom, you know, bless her, you know, God bless her soul. She would sit in her car around the corner, just out of eye shot of me, you know, just so I, Bob, go away. She'd be sitting there <laughs> making sure that nothing happened because I always play with older kids. And, and I remember, you know, this, you know, you know, I don't tell this story often, but I remember this kid. I was maybe 13 years old and this 18-year-old kid. Uh, I, I don't know what got into him, but he came in and he put me in like a wrestling a uh, wrestling move and he, and he knocked me down and knocked me completely unconscious. And my mom got out of her car. And I, again, I did no clue. She was there. She walked, yeah. she saw it all walked straight down the street. And my mom said, put your hands off. We're about to fight. <laughs> and, and the guy calls, guy calls my mom a creep, like get away from me, crazy bitch. <laughs> uh, that's But I, I know exactly. I know exactly what that's like. And that reminds yep. me a lot of too. Um, when we, when we drafted Erasmus Dahlin two years ago, Um, his whole entire, obviously his entire family was here, but you can just see how close that bond was with him and his family. Um, you know, just, just how much he cares, how much, you know, he, he loves his family. And that's why I look at somebody like Marco and just like, you know, that's, that doesn't mean you're soft. That doesn't mean no. you, you, you're weak. That's your not weakness. That's a, that's a great thing. Yes, it's, exactly. It's, it's one thing he is not as soft and, and weak and can tell you that he has a ton of character. So 
So it's it, when you're that close to your family, it's twice tougher as a move to do it, and you still do it, which his parents didn't know. I won't say they did not want, but they were not for it. They, they were hoping him to stay one more year in Austria and come at his draft year only. And Marco said, no, I want to be a hockey player. And I know that is where I will get the closest to, to my dream. And I want to do it. And he did it. So it needs a lot of character to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, never an easy decision to make. But uh, another thing, too, with him is um, – One of, the, one of the things I noticed was better than most of these other uh, other kids that are, you know, about to be drafted was his, his, his pride in his ability to defend in his own end. You know, his responsibility in his own end is honestly off the charts and I think yeah. it might be the best in this entire draft, at least the first round yeah. for sure. Well, for these okay. – nobody's better than him for sure. They, you can sell me someone is as good, but better than that defensively it's – At that age, it's un unbelievable. It's so committed and is really defensively so good. I had a lot of chat with NHL teams saying, yeah, he might be a winger because of his size. And that won't happen. You know, it, it, I understand their point from the outside. I, I, it makes sense. But because I, I work with him for so long, he, see, for sure he will play center because this coach will need someone reliable in some situation. And, he's so good defensively you will earn it so i i totally get it when the nhl team tell me that i i understand their point their vision their point of view i i i get it but it's it won't happen he will play center i'm real willing to bet on that or they are really really extremely special at the center ice position and in the nhl rare are the team who can say we have too many good center or we have extra good center. So I'm, I'm, I can bet on that one. That's why I'd love to have him here in Buffalo. Um, I think if you look at him, he could, he's a guy who's, you know, right on that borderline of maybe being able to play in the NHL right away. Do you think yeah. if his opportunity is on the wing to play right away. He, he sounds like he's the type of guy who will have no problem to make that sacrifice immediately, but he'll still want to have that hunger to earn that center position as well. And I think that kind of bodes very well for you looking yeah. to take him. Early. I, I don't think Marco will complain. Never hear Mario com Marco complain. So center, you can play MD. He won't say a word. The Marco is a hockey player. He just want to play. So, Whatever it was the NHL team will say, he will do it. But just by the way he takes his decision on the ice, he sacrifices sometimes offense because it's the right thing to do to play defense. He stops on loose puck. He, he don't, doesn't fly by. All, all of it will catch the attention of the coach, whoever is the coach. And the coach will say, you know what? I know he played center before and here for – maybe that face off or here we have an injury or whatever, he will end up playing a little bit of center and or for practice or whatever. And the coach will say, hey, you know what? It's pretty, pretty damn good defensively. And I'm not different than any other coach. You bring me a player and you GM tell me he's a right winger. Okay, put fine. I will put him as a right wing and I will watch. And at some point I will say, you know what? he could be a pretty good center. And if the need be, I will put him as a center and he might become a center. So it will be the same for Marco, whatever. 
it's in Buffalo. He might start as a wing because the GM see him fit the, as a wing, which is fine. But down the road at some point, a need will be there in the center and the coach will be more than willing and happy to try him. And I don't think he will move him back on the wing or he may, he may but I'm not, not trying to say to an NHL team what they should do, but I know Marco and I know he's, I coach Ryan. You know, my first year in the NHL when I coached in Colorado, we had Ryan O'Reilly. We, we played in the wing. He was playing in the left wing of Matt Duchesne and the Jimmy McGinn or uh, Pierre-Alexandre Perado. That was our first line. Uh, by no means we thought Ryan O'Reilly was not a center. But it's just on the second line we had Paul Stastny. And Nate McKinnon was playing on the right wing on that line with Landeskog. So we knew O'Reilly was a center and we knew McKinnon was a center. But it just was the, the situation in our team was this one. That's, that was the, the, the be- what making us the best team. And we, we, uh, we finished second in the NHL that year. And we had those guys in the wing. But the following year, uh, O'Reilly was playing center as much as well as McKinnon. So it, it's just a matter of timing, maybe. But Marco is that kind of a player, a little bit like O'Reilly. So he might play in the wing, but at some point you will – Right, you had him in Buffalo, but you, you know how good he is as a center. So, uh, O'Reilly, yeah, he can play in the wing, but he, he will end up in a center. That's a tough conversation for us here in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, I know. The it's a tough conversation. We uh, we uh, we don't like to talk about that. <laughs> it's like yeah. like you know you know for all you Harry Potter's fans, his name is like saying Voldemort's name. We don't want to hear about it anymore. We just want to get over it. We just want to get over yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Get past it. <laughs> Yeah, we'll compare him to Paul Stastny then. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I, I actually, that was my next question was for you to give me a direct comparison. Um, because obviously, again, your resume speaks for itself. You've been an assistant coach a number of times in the NHL. You've been with the Ottawa 67 since uh, 2017. Um, you've coached for Team Canada, the U20, uh, U20 team. Um, so you have a ton of experience, especially at this age group. You know, again, but you just told us Ryan O'Reilly or, you know, um, uh, Stastny, uh, yeah. just two is, great comparisons. Yeah, absolutely. Is is that type of a brain? You know, those guys are super smart. You, you know, Ryan uh, Riley. He's not the fastest guy. Does he play fast? Really fast. I coach Mark Stone. Mark Stone. Everybody says he's a bad skater. Yeah, but if you play against him, he's fast. He, he play fast. He's he think fast. He move fast on the ice because he anticipates so well and. Marco is the same. He's, he's faster than those guys, but the speed is not the speed of a bike field. But his brain is so fast. He, he sees things before it will happen. He has a feel for the game. He, he reminds me of O'Reilly and all, all of those. He's, he's offensively really creative, uh, but he's not the guy who will make the highlight play like uh, – a guy like McDavid or a guy like that. Uh, he's more a guy who, who will be consistent and always making the right decision, always making the right play. He doesn't make mistakes, so he wears you down at some point. You open up the play because it's tough to play against a guy who never makes mistakes. So at some point, you make a mistake and boom. Mm-hmm. I've Marco seen got. I've seen the name Patrice Bergeron thrown out a yeah, lot as a absolutely. That's that's what he I is. You know, it. you can compare Patrice Bergeron, O'Reilly, Stastny. You can. Those guys should yeah. be in the same discussion when you compare them as a player. They they have a lot of similarity. Marco is that kind of a guy. He's 
He's a guy, if you come at the game tonight, then we play Perfetti and Byfield. You will see you will see probably Byfield with his jersey, jersey in the wind and they're flying and making a really good play. And it will finish with one point or two. You will see less Marco. At the end of the night, you will be plus two and three points. So that's that's you will see him. I'm not saying you don't see him. You, you like you see O'Reilly, but he's not uh, he's not Patrick King type of player. It's not what he is. He's more the guy who like O'Reilly, like Stastny. They don't make mistake. They just wear you down, finish plus two because they didn't make mistake. Yeah, and you know, uh, again, you 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 hit a lot of talking points there. Uh, consistency, you know, this isn't a, just a kid who just showed up in his draft year for the NHL and performed. He performed the year before too, and this past season, he won pretty much every single accolade and award yep. that a player can yep. win in the OHL. And I know not not a lot of people take this stat very seriously, but it is an extra feather in Marco's cap. He did lead the league in the best plus minus this season. And that just goes to show how good he is and because hockey is a three zone game. You, you can, you can sit there and, you know, look at some of these kids and say, maybe they're not the best in their run, but Marco takes pride in playing well in all three zones. And I think that's what Buffalo needs. And that's why I've been on the Marco Rossi train for a while. Um, you know, being realistic of where we sat. And I even said, if he's still there at six, I, I would trade whatever it would take to go up and get a kid like that. He's a, you know, he, we have a long history here with the 67s in Ottawa. We have 53 years, a few cop, two memorable cop. Uh, we have over 100 players playing in NHL. So it's a pretty good franchise. Marco was on pace if for the co- without the COVID. He was on pace for be the, the all-time leader for plus and minus in the season. That's- we talk about team who won championship, memorable cop, all-time great NHL player and Marco was a bit above those guys so that's that's enough said in my opinion I mean absolutely <laughs> um again his numbers spoke for themselves 120 points in 56 games that's absolutely insane and I don't know why people more people aren't talking about that in this year's draft like as far as I, like I said, he's always been in my top five if not top three you know he, he's always been kind of interchangeable with me with Cole Perfetti me and back and forth. I just think Marco's game. There's thing. There's things to it that a lot of these a lot of these kids in the top ten don't don't have. Yeah. The, the the other impressive stats for Marco. I don't know exactly the number, but I think it's six or seven game only didn't make points. I think made points in all but five, six or seven games, something like that. It's not ten game for sure. It's five, six or seven, something like that. So that show you. We talk about consistency. Marco, on, on those, I will say seven night, let's say, we probably got shot out twice. So probably, you know, that showed how consistent he is. It's every night. So it's fun to have on our side. Yeah, and that's that's exactly, again, why I've been so high on him, man. It's just, like, I, I didn't know that stat personally, six or seven games where he hasn't had a point. You can't say that for a lot of kids in this, in, in this draft, you know, just – and just again, I, I look so much at the work ethic off the ice more than I do the on the ice, especially at his age, like what he's willing to do off the ice to get better. And yeah. another thing, too, that a lot of people say is he makes everyone else around him. Like we said, you know, you, you mentioned players that don't have the best boots. You know, that's yeah. another thing that was thrown about Mar- Marco. Uh, but what he makes lacks in that or lacks in that, 
he makes up for his hockey IQ, his anticipation, reading the play, being two or three steps ahead of everybody else. And yeah. I think his anticipation is what's going to set him ahead of other players that might lack those things. You know, exactly. you know, you know he's, he's going to be – and again, I, I have zero doubt in my mind just from talking to you and reading everything I've read on him that, okay, maybe his boots aren't the best, but he's going to work on that. He's going to put as much effort he's in to get better. To, to be better at uh, better skating wise, and he's going to get there, and he's just going to be able to get to that next level. Marco is a better skater than Ryan O'Reilly, so that's all I need to hear. Exactly, <laughs> his, his skating hear. his skating will not be will not be a will not be someone the fans will go to the ring and say, oh, you know the speed. No, no, no. The speed of Marco is just fine. It's just he just not, doesn't have the. 2020 separation speed of McDavid, Mitch Marner, Jack Eichel, uh, those guys, you are, they have a special speed. Yeah, they can, they they, McKinnon, they, they, they have that burst. Marco doesn't have that, but his speed is just fine. No problem there. He has the ability, though, to slow the game down when he has the puck or when he doesn't have the puck. He's, a, you know, he's that Sorry. smart of a hockey player. He slows exactly. the game down and makes them to play to his strengths. No problem there. That's his strength. That's and he, he played fast by his decision and anticipation. And he, he, you don't have no time, no space when you play against Marco. It's not like if you play with without pace, you play with a lot of pace. So that's Marco. Yeah. I uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for that to hear everything you've said about Marco. I uh, like I said, I've been a big advocate of his for a little bit now, and. Um, you know, it just makes me that more excited, anticipating for tomorrow's draft to hear his name called at eight. But again, we mentioned earlier, you have another kid on your squad who has passed, you know, who Marco has helped maybe get to, has helped him become the player he is now in Jack Quinn. You know, I haven't done as much digging as I would like yeah. on Jack. Can you maybe give us some in, more insight on him? Yeah, they, uh, they, 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 they didn't play together all year. They, they, they played together in the power play, that's it. Jack was uh, the goal line guy, the net front guy on the power play. Uh, they, Jack played with Mitch Olsher and uh, Marco played with uh, Joe Garafa and uh, Austin Keating, so two over each. They, uh, they played two different, different lines, but uh, Jack, his – has a lot of upside. Jack is still a guy who has a lot of growth physically. He's, he's still still have his baby face and still have a lot of growth. He's a he's a guy who can beat you in every way you can imagine. I compare Jack to Sebastian Howe. Yeah, he can throw a big hit. He can go at the net and get a screen on the goalie on a goal. He can get a rebound or a tap. He can beat you up the corner, beat you at the net by his compete level and the is positioning and scoring the rebound. He, the next time he can beat you on the shot from the ice slot. He can beat you on the rush, go around the defenseman with his speed or cut in the middle and really good hands beat you at one-on-one. So he can beat you in every way you can imagine. You, when you, if you look all the goal mark, uh, Jack score, but they're not the same. They, they're all different. Score 50, 52, I think. And they're all different. It's all different way. One thing is a common theme, he goes inside. He, he's a playoff type of player in a sense. He doesn't score from – sometimes you have junior player who score a lot from the outside. Uh, they, sometimes you look at it you say, okay, will that translate in the NHL? Will they be – they won't be the NHL goalie from outside the dots or something like that. Jack Quinn, 
he's getting inside. He scores his goal from the inside, and he's not afraid to pay the price to, to get in there. And uh, when I say pay the price, it's not anymore the 90s where, where you needed to to get the hit or the slash or the cross check to get in there. But now you need to get your you need to work. You need to get your body position. You need to out muscle, out position your opponent. Jack Quinn, that's his right in his alley. He is all about body position, getting inside. Really good on the penalty killing and super competitive as well. So uh, he's, he's a guy who I will not be shocked when you will look the draft in seven, ten years from now. Say, I can't believe this guy been draft whatever, where. You know what I mean? Right now we're all looking to draft a few years ago. and We talk about Cal McCarr or Elias um, mm-hmm. Peterson, and we say, oh, my God. All good are we're those guys. We never thought they will be that good. That's Jack Quinn in near future. That's that's a guy who will be will surprise a lot of people. And I had a I had, I had a lot of good player. Fortunately for me, as a coach, uh, but though Jack is a guy who has a lot of upside. And for him, it's tough to predict what's the ceiling. You know, it's. Remind me Sebastian Ao. When Sebastian Ao was drafted in the second round, nobody knew about him. I was friends with his coach in in Carolina, and the coach told me the next year we we have a guy 19 years old coming and we'll play in our power play right away next year. I was going, okay, who's that? I was was trying to figure it out. I was looking at their first round picks. We took him in the second round, Sebastian Ao. Who the hell is Sebastian Ao? I was kind of... You're, you're not serious. This, this guy will not come next year in your team, play in the power play. So I was, I think, I'm not sure I took it seriously. And we all know the story about Sebastian Howe when he came over, how good he was. So uh, Jack Quinn is that type of a guy. I think people, even if they know him, they don't know him. They don't know how much upside this guy has. Yeah, you talk about Jack's scoring prowess a little bit and his body positioning. He's a guy when he when he's get, he able to get that shot off, he's able to release it from so many different sort of positions. Yeah. It's never That's the true. same sort of thing, but yeah. he always seems comfortable doing it. What do you think that really does uh, for his game, and how different is that from so many of the other guys in in the CHL? What make what does for what that does for his game is it's extremely tough to defend because you know you. He's not a guy who has one trick. He's, he can beat you a different way. If you get too much inside, he will go on the outside. If you're on the outside, he will beat you on the inside. If your positioning is not perfect, and if your positioning is perfect, he has no problem to go body to body with you and try to protect his hands to make a play and to get on the net or to get in the in the in tight area or in front of the net. So he is... You have no break. If you play against Jack, you have no break. You, you need to be on your game. He, he's relentless. So, uh, he, and he wants to score a goal. He has that comp- competitive edge. So, that's what I think of Jack. I love hearing that. I, uh, you mentioned it earlier and again now is the compete level. You know, you know um, how Marco and Jack compete with each other and you know mm-hmm. just the competitiveness and building and one other thing that was said about jack is how versatile he is he's not a one-dimensional player at all um, no, absolutely you know, not. So. probably lead our team in ice time and penalty killing or if he doesn't it's pretty close he's a, he's a top defender for us 
played a lot of minutes against top player. Uh, and, and, you know, Jack has that, that chip on his shoulder because he had a, his first year, he had a, he had a okay year, but we had a, there was a lot of veterans in our team and he played more a depth role in our lineup. And uh, he, he took it as a competitor. He didn't took it as a, well, it is what it is, or he didn't pound about it or whatever. He took it as, I will prove who I am and what I can do. And uh, it was the same this year. Everybody, everywhere we're going, we're talking about Marco and our overage and this and that. Quinter was a little bit the dark horse there and did not complain, whine, or feel sorry for himself. There was a reverse. He, he, he competes so hard and he made his way to uh, the, the, the top top of the draft and uh, at the start of the year people were not seeing that and uh, James Boy and I were, we were promoting that we're saying telling you guys he's the lead and I remember when Hockey Canada was saying the same we're saying guys Jack Quinn is elite player so now he, he got what he earned and really proud of him and really proud for him and his family will have a great day on Tuesday absolutely uh, like I said, you know, when I was, you know, going through everybody's DMs on social media, trying to trying to reach out for an interview, you were always you were at my top of my list, man. Um, even asked Ty, we have we have a, a group chat, you know, that, you know, when we tweet something yeah. out or we share something. We, yeah. we try and get everybody to share it. And yeah. it's like, hammer this, hammer this tweet. Let's get his attention. I want this guy on our show. Um, it, not just because of the players that you've coached. It's just your resume itself. It speaks for itself. You have so much experience. And when I, when I, when I look at the draft, um, you know, any draft, I, you know, and I see players that have been coached by you, and, you know, I take a lot of stock in that because of your experience and the way you talk about your players and just the way you talk about the game. Like I said, it's, it's very, very insightful. And, you know, I cannot wait to see, again, I am going to lose my, I'm going to lose my fucking mind if they call Marco Rossi at number eight or if, Sabres, or if I hear the Sabres have made a trade at the six and whatever it may be, I, I am going to be super pumped. And if Jack is still sitting there at the end of the first or maybe in the second, I think he's more, he has that first round talent. Um, again, you can't have enough good centermen in this game. Uh, trust me, we know that in Buffalo. We know that. You know, we've 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 been interchanging wingers as our second line center for the past two years, yeah. and it has yeah. not worked out at all. Um, yeah, that, but that's the, the key position. When you have good centers, yeah, you have a good team. Absolutely. Uh, before we wrap this up, I do want to ask you one last question, only because you brought his name up a couple of times. So I have to know. I think I know what the answer is. LeBron or Jordan? Uh, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Six. Six. Uh, six. six with the same team did not leave to it's go true. play with his buddy it didn't, six and didn't the lose team. any exactly lose any. it's true it's true so he's he stayed there and he, he he battled with his group and he made his teammate better and he made his franchise better i'm not saying he made a lot of friends but that's <laughs> the name of the game if you have friends or you have rings what do you want <laughs> I'm, I'm so i'm assuming you watched the last dance a few times a few times oh yeah unbelievable unbelievable piece yeah. uh i uh, i watched it twice myself yeah. um but again thank you andre thank you bear the bear from the ohl the ottawa 67s <laughs> uh if we do in fact call one of these two kids names in buffalo i would love to have you on again if you don't mind 
Uh, no problem. Just, you know where to reach me now. <laughs> if you want to reach out to Marco and or Jack and let them know, hey, I was on two goalies one night. Those guys are absolute beauts. Because I may or may not have sent them both a DM too. Never got a response. They're big. They're big timing me. They're big league in me. But you know, if you want to, they're busy them, training. Okay, these guys they're busy training. Exactly, yeah, busy training. I like go. that. Time. Let them, let them know. Let them know. Two goalies, one mic is after them. So uh, job, again, boys. thank you, Andre. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Thank you for having me. Welcome back, everyone. I am not here with uh, my normal co-host, Johnny Cullen, uh, but uh, no fear. I do have Ty B with me. Ty, how the hell are you? Doing great. Ready to talk some uh, little bit of junior hockey here. Ready for the draft. Oh, man. Eight, seven, eight, seven p.m. cannot come soon enough. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, I have none other than Chris Hartsburg, head coach of the Erie Otters. Uh, Chris, thanks again for coming on with us. Uh, you know, how are you today, man? Where are you holding up right now? I'm good. I'm in beautiful Erie PA right now. So that's mm-hmm. my lockdown really since uh, quarantine hit. So yeah, it's been good. And you're a Minnesota boy, right? You're, uh, you know, you're, you're a big Vikings fan. Uh, how are you feeling about the Vikings this year? <laughs> I'm, it's just I'm not I'm not a diehard Minnesota sports fans like a lot of my friends are still that live there and I root for them. I'm more of a Twins fan probably than a Vikings fan. But if I'm gonna have a football team, it's gonna be the Vikes for sure. So I'm doing all right. Doing and, all right. And a little shout out to Erie Presque Isle, the the Vegas of the East, as dubbed by our own degenerate Al. Um, we spent a lot of time down there at Presque Isle before we could go to the casinos here to bet. I love Erie. Great little city. Almost oh, went too. to Penn State Erie. I'd love, I'd love it down there. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's a beautiful place to live. I mean, when the weather's nice and the snow's not coming down, it's awesome. Yep. So, yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's one of the closer, you know, when you want to catch a junior hockey team, uh, game, you go down to Erie, man. And I, I have a couple times, uh, once to see Connor McDavid play, uh, he did not disappoint that night. Uh, I believe he had two goals, uh, four points, I believe. I can't quite remember. I was, uh, a little, uh, you know, had a few, too many sodas that night, but it was a great time nonetheless, but, uh, absolutely man. Erie, an unreal atmosphere when you go to games, uh, down there, I had a lot of fun, but, um, with that being said, again, we have Chris, Chris Hartsburg, um, Chris, real quick before we get into the nitty gritty, just tell us how you uh, became head coach uh, down there in Erie. Um, you know, just give us a quick background uh, of your resume. Yeah, um, uh, first coaching gig was as an assistant coach in the Central Hockey League after I retired from playing. Um, was fortunate enough to get a job in the Western Hockey League after that for four years out in Everett, Washington, and unfortunately got fired halfway through the year. Me and the head coach and had some time to look for a job and, and, you know, wanted to get a little bit closer to home, home being Ontario and and for me at least. And luckily a job opened up in Erie under Chris Knobloch and came in for a year in the 13-14 season. And we had a tremendous amount of success that year with a really loaded roster of future NHL players. And uh, that parlayed success usually par- parlays itself into opportunity. And I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity in the USHL with the Lincoln stars and was the head coach there for three years. And then uh, when Chris left Erie and moved on to Philly, um, you know, the timing was right for, for me to, to come back and, and take over for Chris and knowing we were, we were coming back to a different team, you know, we didn't have eight, 
NHL players on our roster, but we also knew it was going to be fun to kind of build a team the way you want it to be and, and how we want to play. And it's taken some time, but we're excited with where we're headed here for sure. And looking at, uh, you know, playing in a small city like Erie, I think, you know, especially in the OHL, you have a ton of passion from those fans. And I've been down to oh, Erie yeah. for a few of the FC Buffalo games against Erie. That's a big rivalry. It's like the Erie County Derby or whatever. <laughs> Um, I know those fans are extremely passionate and you see that with some of the smaller towns uh, within, you know, especially the OHL of the comparisons between like Guelph or Peterborough, where I've been a few times, um, as opposed to looking at Ottawa. What do you see, you know, with the smaller markets as opposed to some of the bigger markets there and in, in, especially in the O? Um, I mean, Sault Ste. Marie is my hometown, so I, I know that market extremely well and they want to they want to win. They want it. They don't care. No matter what it takes, they want to win hockey games. And, you know, you might not have the best team on paper, but they still expect you to win every night. And, you know, and that's great. I mean, I, I, I love it because our fans are passionate and there's no denying that. And, you know, I think for me, sometimes it, it gets lost a little bit. And, and you know, for us, it's, it, we put as much emphasis on development as we do in, in standings. And, you know, we feel like if we're developing at a good rate, you know, we're going to, we're going to have success. I mean, our leading score this year was a 13th or 14th round pick. And then our second leading score was a ninth or 10th round pick. And they're both 19 year olds. And, you know, these are kids that we've had for three years that have developed and, and become hockey players. So. Yeah. And um, obviously with your playing career, you were drafted by the New Jersey devils back in 99. Um, you know, and, and your journey to become a coach, you have a pretty, a pretty good resume, just not both playing, but coaching as well. Uh, just kind of going back to a previous conversation we had, um, obviously you guys finished uh, at 500 this season. Um, but as you stated before, it's been progressive. Uh, pro it's been progressively getting better in Erie and what you're trying to build is more sustained success and development. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, with, with that being said, Jamie Drysdale, who uh, is, I think, hands down the uh, best defenseman in this draft. It's not even close between him and Jake Sanderson, in my own opinion. Um, I think he's a testament to that. Well, I think it's twofold, right? I mean, we believe in our program. We believe in what we do, but we got to get buy-in from the players as well. And that's, that's our job as coaches is to make them understand why we're doing what we're doing. And it's not just – dangling that carrot at the end of the at the end of the stick saying hey if you do this you're going to get the national hockey league it's it's going to be hard like it's not going to be easy like it's that carrot's there but if you, you aren't prepared to put the put the time and effort into it that's that stick's going to get longer and longer and and it, by the end of it you might just not feel like doing it anymore so that's that's but with when you deal with a kid like jamie who who's so extremely motivated to get to that level you know, you really don't have to do much, much motivating to, to convince him to, to buy in. It's, this is what he wants to be. He wants to be a pro. And that's why they come play in our league to be pros and learn how to be pros. And one of the, one of, uh, like I said, uh, doing all the digging I was into Jamie's uh, career up into this point while watching a few of his interviews, he actually spoke uh, in depth about you and exactly what you just said, buying in, buying into the way the game needs to be played. And, uh, he spoke in length about you, especially with you being a very approachable coach. He's not afraid to approach you with any issues he might have or just things he needs to learn or improve on. Um, 
like I said, he's spoken great length about that. And I think that's just a breath of fresh air to hear just as a coach myself, because that's one of the last things you want is a player to be afraid to come talk to you as a coach. Uh, if there's something that's concerning him, especially a kid, you know, when you're, you're an assistant, your assistant captain, um, you want, you want him to feel like he can approach you in, no matter what the situation is. No. And that's, that's my approach to this whole coaching thing. It's not, it's not about me. It's never about me and, and my trajectory and my career. It's about these kids. And if they aren't comfortable coming to talk to you about anything, you're going to have a tough time getting them to do what, what needs to be done. And that's where respect comes in. That's where humanizing the position comes in. That's where making them feel comfortable with you and, and sharing, I think is a big part of that and sharing your life and, and making them a part of your life. And I treat them no different than I treat my son at their age. And that's the way I approach it now. Granted, my son's only five years old, but when he, when, when he does become a teenager, the, the expectations and the accountability is going to be the same. And, you know, I'm, I grew up with that. That was the model my dad kind of had when he coached junior hockey and I, I lived it. So I know what it was like. And, you know, and it, sometimes it's not fair, but you know what, at the end of the day, it's to make you a better person and a better hockey player. And that's, that's kind of the way we look at it. And, and speaking a little bit about, you know, going away and having this experience for some of these Canadian players, um, you're one of the few teams that's in America in the CHL. Mm -hmm. You know, how is that adjustment for them? I know it's not too crazy, you know, coming across the border. I think, you know, Buffalo, number one, is like basically a Canadian city. Erie is very similar yeah. to Buffalo, I think. And it's it's very, you know, blue collar, you know, put your, put your nose down, you know, you go to work and, you know, you have fun when all the work is complete, you know, at the end of the week. Yeah, no, I mean, we're lucky. We have a great group of billets here that take great care of our players, and that makes it extremely easy. Um, I know, our, I know our, our families like coming down. The taxes on on clothing and all that stuff is <laughs> pretty outlets beneficial yep. for, oh, yeah. <laughs> for us. But um, you know, and it's it, it does. We we the, our kids get treated so well by our ownership group and, and our and our management team, and and it makes our job easy as coaches because they get everything they want. And there's never really on any given day where we have a kid coming and saying, "Hey, I really wish we had this," and that's just not what happens. I mean, our we travel more than anyone in the league as far as as far as much as anyone in the league, I should say, as far as overnight stays, stuff like that. And there's no cost cutting like we, we eat well we eat we, we get treated extremely well on the day-to-day -day and you know there's really nothing for these kids to complain about from that standpoint and you know from a parent's perspective I mean we look after them they're our responsibility they are it's a 24-7 job at junior hockey this isn't just a get into the ring get them away and then you're done with them like I, I'm constantly fearful of my phone ringing in the middle of the night and something happened to one of my players and that's something you just once to see until the season's over that's that's my mindset and that's where I'm, I'm always on edge just worrying about it whether the weather's turning or you know other stuff but you know this is part of the job at this level and that's a lot of things that get overlooked sometimes when when guys either come from the professional level or, or, or coming to start coaching at this level right away. Cause it is, it's a lot of work. Yep. I, uh, and speaking of that too, in another previous conversation we had, uh, that's like, you know, you, you played a lot of uh, college hockey, obviously at the start of your career with uh, Colorado college. 
uh, there's a big difference between, you know, playing college hockey and junior hockey, because when you come into junior hockey, kind of like Jamie or you know, any, just throw a name in there. Um, you're, you're coming in as such a young kid, you know, 15, 16 years old, you really don't know the world around you. You're leaving your family. You're going to live with a wholly complete different family. And you expect to become a man at such a young age and learn how to be mature, how to carry yourself on and off the ice. It's just such a world of difference. Whereas in college hockey, some of these guys are starting, you know, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a complete different world. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, maturity standpoint and all that. Absolutely. I mean, you're asked to do so much more as a, as a college athlete, I think just in fending for yourself and, you know, it's, you know, having gone through it and, and, you know, played at a high level of division one hockey. And, and at that time, Colorado college was a top perennial top 10 team. And, you know, we, it, it was, it was a balance and you had to figure it out. Um, you know, we had a schedule as far as when we practice, but, you know, it's not like we have it here now. We're, we're pretty much regimented with our kids and, and from the time they get here in the morning till the time they leave us. And, you know, that typically runs from them showing up at 9, 9.30 in the morning Then they get a couple hour break in there to go eat some lunch, but they stick around. They're around the rink till four or five o'clock some days. And that's, that's because they want to be, but, you know, when you're a college student, you don't, you don't get that much time to be at the rink. You know, granted, some some colleges allow it or, or you're able to just because the academics aren't as stringent as some. But I went to a pretty good academic school and it was you had to put the work in. And if you didn't, it was, you know, because we were in class every day from nine till 12. So, you know, it was from 12 till four o'clock whenever we went to the rink for practice. That was your time to kind of be down. And then it was a race after practice to get back home and eat dinner. So that's where it's changed obviously now with colleges they have all this this food and all this stuff post practice in the in the rinks a lot of the places now but you know for us it's i i just love the lifestyle between your hockey i really do i think it's you know you're you spend so much time with these these guys and it's it's daily and um the bus travel and the the 68 game schedule and the hotel stays and all that stuff i mean for me that's that's where where you 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 bond and you make friendships and i I think you'd be hard pressed to say a kid in college hockey even doesn't miss his time in junior hockey i think that's the way i view it so absolutely and another thing too is in college hockey, you don't get traded as Cully would say, you know, <laughs> come trade deadline day. He always had his bags packed. My Commodore pack your shit. You're on your way. Yeah. <laughs> but the only problem. Now, well, the only problem now in college hockey is you get 30 man rosters. So you're either, you may not play, but you're end up transferring after a year or two. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's another thing. But speaking of, you know, you, it's not just um, Jamie Drysdale who you guys have that are going to be preparing for the NHL draft upcoming here I think it was five guys on the midterm scouting report so it looks like you know multiple draftees you know out of Erie you spend some time you know in Colorado a few other places obviously in college it's such a such a difference for someone especially you know out of Sioux or you know us, me in Buffalo I, I know the first time I went out to Colorado you yeah. see all the mountains everywhere it's just a completely different world have you talked to some of these guys about you know some of the places they may end up that they may be able to you know, go and visit for the first time in the world and talking to them about, you know, soaking up some of it and sort of enjoying that experience. Well, I I think that's what this game affords you is the opportunity to see a lot of different places. Um, um, 
you know, I, I think for Jamie, especially, I mean, you're looking at, I mean, I've kind of identified three teams probably that, you know, may make some sense in that mid, mid top 10 and, you know, they're all kind of different. And I mean, he's one's from a big be, city, Toronto, right? And he's, he's a big city kid. Yeah. So that's not going to be fearful, but if he ends up in Anaheim, California, that's going to be a different mindset for Gene. Yep. Although he's the type of kid, he might fit in well out there. He's just, he's, he, he's a pretty laid back kid that just kind of goes with it sometimes. So the California lifestyle, I don't think would bother Jamie at all. Although he's, he's kind of a palish skinned kid. So he, he might have <laughs> oh, to. That's need some, so... need some, high, some stronger SPF. Well, it might be. Yeah. So, but um, no, I mean, like, and that's the one thing, I mean, yeah, you get drafted by these teams and, but you might end up in their farm system somewhere else. And it's, then it's a completely different animal altogether. And typically a lot of them are fairly close, but you know, I mean, you go you just think of a small town kid from Ontario having to go play in Henderson, Nevada, like, you know, like, and you're right there in Vegas, like that's, that's an eye opener for me. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a whole different way of life. And uh, it, it's exciting time for all these kids. I mean, that's, that's the thing for me, whether they get drafted or not, it's not the end of the road. I mean, seriously, like it, there's so much pressure put on these kids to get drafted their first time through the draft. And, I think, I think it, for me, it makes more sense on a lot of these teams to wait for these kids to go through it once, maybe even twice before you're really seeing what type of player they're going to be. And I mean, we have one in particular that it wouldn't shock me if someone takes a flyer on him late just because of his, his steep curve he's taken in his development after not getting drafted his first time through. And it's not the end of the road. I mean, there's so many free agent signings now that NHL teams essentially have to, especially the teams that trade away so many draft picks to, 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 to get better during the season. You have to find players somehow, and a lot of it is through free agency. And I don't, I, I, the draft for me is, 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 it is what it is. It's, uh, it's fun, I guess, but it's also heartbreaking for a lot of these kids because they do put so much solace in, into what people are saying about them, where they have them ranked and, and where they think they're going. And I, I don't, I don't think that it doesn't value me for me enough of what type of kids they are. Like, you know, like a kid like Jamie, I know Dan Marr loved them talking to Dan all year about Jamie from central scouting. And, you know, it's sometimes guys are, are like too much, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that can be a down downfall for him as well. And, you know, I'm not saying that's the case with Jamie at all, but there are kids that I've heard talked about that are just, there's some people who are just, you know, people, people you know they're just good at talking to people so then when they get those extra scouting interviews you got to think they're absolutely crushing those so when you know you're on the fence about someone you might you might buy into that but some of the guys who are more introverted sometimes are more of those guys who are more focused on that slow progression that grind to get better Um, and i've had a team talk to me about jamie and say how poorly you interviewed and i was shocked i was just like I was like, I was kind of taken. Yeah, I think everyone like, looks for something different sometimes. Like you want some I, guys who are going to be completely focused on, you know, maybe getting into the film work and defining the intricacies in your game. Whereas yeah. other people are going to want the guys who are going to be out there and a little bit more flashy. And it seems like they have that more skill at this point. But that's sort of the conundrum when it comes to drafting is you take that guy who has possibly more upside and he puts in more work or you take the guy who's more technically skilled and it's just more natural to him 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. And, you know, I think my point going back to my point on, on the draft picks, it's, it's a tough day. It's a tough day for everyone. I mean, I remember going through my draft day and, and I was, I think I was rated as a fourth round pick and didn't end up going to the seventh round. And that was nerve wracking. And I remember asking my, cause my dad was with Anaheim at the time and asked him, Hey, can I go to the draft? And he's like, no, you're not going <laughs> like, no way. <laughs> like you're not sitting there in case, what if you yeah. don't get drafted or you got to sit there till whenever, like, no. It does a lot of mental damage, you kind of think, especially at a younger age where you expect that. And especially with everything going on with COVID, you had the less in time, no playoffs, obviously in the CHL, and things are going to get back going, you know, soon for them. But um, we saw in Major League Baseball here in the States where the draft was completely, um, I think there's normally like 30 or 40 rounds. They only did seven this year. So it's, you know, it it kind of sort of got flipped up upside down here. Um, I don't know. There could be some long-term ramifications here on that. Um, especially you got to figure out, you know, what these AHL franchises are going to do, how they're going to pay for everything. Yeah. And if you don't have fans in the stands, these teams can't really afford to support everything of the NHL franchise is going to cover it. Um, no. Could you see more of a system that we have in Europe where you're, you know, you're just kind of like lo- loaning out guys, if you will, to the OHL and the CHL more, I think that's something that could happen. We're seeing a lot of guys going over to Europe right now. Um, to spend it some could, time but, ready. but those teams don't have room for everybody. That's the problem. Yeah. Right. And I know there's a local guy, Ryan Zapolsky, who is goalie for U S Olympic team there. And I saw Ryan a couple of weeks ago at a golf tournament. I was asking him what's going on and you know, he's having a kid, but he just said, it's tough going right now. Because I, th- I think going. it's similar to soccer. They can only have a certain amount of imports on their rosters, correct? Yep. Oh, yeah, and it's tough. I mean, and really, like, if you're an NHL team, okay, that's great. You want to send them over. But are these teams really wanting to take all these guys that might have to come back when the season starts? And, you know, at, at that point, now you have to replace maybe five, six guys on your roster with players that, you know, certainly may not be as good or whatever. But I, it's – it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. No question. So. Yeah. Um, in, in, in terms of Jamie, you know, getting in a nitty gritty here um, when I, obviously when I've been doing my digging um, there were a lot of key words that was consistent when talking about uh, Jamie explosive uh, you know, his ability to make that first pass, the leadership qualities. He's a great two way defender. Uh, a couple analysts, uh, including Bob McKenzie said, that his improvement between last year to this year was enormous uh, in, you know, uh, improving his game in his own end and the pride he takes at playing in his own end, not just being an offensive threat, but playing well enough in his own end. Um, you know, and he, he mentioned, you know, he may not be your 65, 70 point defenseman, but he'll get you 50 points. And you know what? He'll be a terror to play against. He'll be hard to play against in his own end. Yeah, no. And I, I think, if Jamie really wanted to be a 65, 70 point defenseman, I think he could, but I think it would eat him up having to, to play that a yeah. certain way. I don't think he wants, to, I, he wants to be, he wants to help his team when, when hockey games the right way, not through him just putting up points. And I think that's the one thing I've respected about Jamie really the entire time I've been able to coach him is how much he cares about the team winning and how much he, he's willing to, to put aside his own personal 
goals and, and, and points for, for the betterment of the team. Absolutely. And his skating visit ability is absolutely through the charts. Scott Wheeler even said he's probably the best skating defenseman to come to the draft in quite some time, at least in recent memory. And he said he wouldn't fault a team for picking him at three, but understands with how deep this draft is at forward as to why he would fall, you know, out of the top five. But I said, it, you know, his skating, his skating ability, his edge work is absolutely through the charts, which is what intrigues me because that's where the league is going towards. You know, being able to carry that puck out of your own end, having an elite skating defenseman. And I mean, Jamie Drysdale kind of checks all those boxes. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's from the first time I saw him at 16, him skate, I was, it, it, it just, it, your jaw, your jaw drops and. And for me, that's that's all. That's the easiest way to describe it. I was talking to a guy from Detroit with the Athletic, I think, and I said to him, I said, if I could skate like him for a day, I, I it would be unbelievable, you know. And but um, yeah, it, it's his mind and, and his feet to me are his two biggest assets, and you know, those are what are what's going to make him, a, you know, a very successful hockey player. And I, yep. I brought up real quick earlier, you know, there's a couple other guys who could get drafted out of Erie. You look at a guy like Hayden Fowler. He seems to play like a very good two-way game, uh, great mm-hmm. transition, uh, not the biggest body, but he still uses it very well for him. He could be a guy there maybe in the second round, possibly very early third round. And then a guy in Austin Swankler came over from the USHL, young American guy who seems to be doing sort of similar things. He's, you know, learning to play both styles of hockey. Where do you see, you know, those guys fitting in in the long term and sort of their development since they've come into Erie? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for me, Hayden's late birthday. He's, um, he's, he's had a tough goal just with injuries and never really been able to stay on track. And that's kind of been his biggest downfall up until this point. Um, Cause he has seemed like as soon as you start to get his game going, even, you know, last year, and then for sure this year, he seemed to miss a week or two of games and it just kind of set him back. So it never really got there. And then with Austin, it's, you know, it's, it's him was learning how to play in a completely different style of game. And, you know, the USHL is, it's, it's, it's quick. It's, yeah. It's a college pace game. That's what it is. It's go, go, go. And, you know, and that's, and it's, it's just the way it is, but um, you know, he, he's taking strides, um, you know, and then to add on to him, we have Brendan Hoffman, who's a kid that, you know, is uh-huh. a big, strong center iceman. That's got a chance. And Aiden Campbell, our big goalie that I, I really believe in. I think he's got a chance to be a really good, good goaltender here. Um, but his problem, not his problem, it's just, it's young goalies, you know, they go through those ups and downs and managing it at a young age is tough, but I really feel it's, again, this comes back for me about re-entries. Like you look at Nico Dawes, like top ranked goalie in North America and, you know, it was going to be an early pick and he went through the draft twice. So, you know, I think for me, that's where it comes into play. And then, you know, Max Golod for me is another guy that, why an NHL team hasn't drafted him yet. I, I begged a Buffalo Sabre scout last year. I said, you guys are crazy if you don't take him. He's going to score 80 points in our league this year. And just from his skill set alone, and he, he would have if we would have finished the year out. And yep. well, those are the players that with his skill set, it's someone's 
they're if they're smart, they'll draft them late and and you know and, and take them. But I think Max is hoping he doesn't get drafted so he can be be a free agent, and kind of pick a spot. So there's like a weird, a really weird thing about NHL players. It's almost like sixty percent of players have birthdays in between like January to March because of the way that the birthday cutoffs are. I read a, it was in one of the Malcolm Gladwell books actually mm-hmm. um, yeah. where he talked about that. So some of those guys who have later birthdays, you're always behind. And especially at younger ages, when you're trying to develop players, that six to eight months is huge, especially, you know, when you're in, you know, seven to, you know, 11 years old, as opposed to when you're older, you can sort of make up for some of that. You're all generally developed at the mm-hmm. same rate, but you don't, learn the skills at an earlier age. So some of those guys are at a little bit of a disadvantage. So a guy like that, that, that really makes a lot of sense for Hayden Fowler, where he, he shows those glimpses. He has all the talent, but he's always been sort of a step behind everyone else at his age. Yeah. I mean, and, and for me, Hayden's, I think his is more a byproduct of bad luck personally um, than anything. Um, but um yeah, I mean, Hoffman's another late birthday too. So it's, we're, I mean, we're fortunate to have kids recognize, I think. Um, will all of them get drafted? Probably not. Um, you know, I think that's just the way it is right now. Um, but if, if we can get three kids drafted, then great. But, you know, I, I think for me, it's, it's not the end of the road if you don't, you're not a draft pick. I think for me, that's just the beginning. It's now it's about proving people wrong and, yep and making sure you're, you're not just, you're not dying at the end of the stick and you're ready to keep going. So. And that, you know, it's not bad to play with a chip on your shoulder, you know, feeling like you got people to prove wrong. Um, You know, we all know, we've all seen somebody in the league that, you know, you know, had a chip on their shoulder, you know, felt like they were, you know, just, um, you know, not given, not given the credit they were due coming in their draft year or whatever it may be. Um, Another thing about Jamie that I love too, and that I've heard a lot about is just obviously his leadership qualities. You know, maybe if you can touch on that a little bit, you know, I know he's one of your assistants. Um, Is he, is he outspoken? Is he more of a lead by example guy? Because we have those issues here in Buffalo over the past past few years, uh, issues with leadership, not necessarily from Jack Eichel, but just from other people in the room, people not speaking up, people not being held accountable. Uh, I think accountable is the best word for it or lack thereof is, uh, you know, what type of leader is, is Jamie uh, Drysdale? Um, you know, I, I think he's, he's, he knows his role. He knows his place. And that was the one thing I was impressed with as a 16-year-old is he, he, knew, he knew what was wrong and what was right, but he, he didn't want to step on toes. And I didn't necessarily see it firsthand. It, you, you would hear about certain things, and then you'd see his reaction. And he's such a bright kid and he's such his moral standards are so high and, and his expectations are so high as far as what should be deemed acceptable. And he just goes and does it. He's a lead by example guy. And when he needs to speak, he speaks. Um, He's going to wear a letter in the national hockey league at some point. Um, He's just, he's, he's a high, high character kid that, is so completely selfless and, and so completely focused on what needs to be done and how it needs to be done as opposed to just worrying about himself. And there's not an I in him. It's all about me, us, we, it's not, you know, it's not a selfish thing. It's, it's, he cares about the team. He truly does. So 
I I was talking about uh, this to Dwayne before we hopped on with you, and I was going to be quite upset if the Sabres drafted a defenseman because we need so much help in the top six. Mm-hmm. But if it's Jamie Drysdale, I, I think I'm completely sold on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, anyone that takes Jamie is going to get a hell of a kid, hell of a player. It's, I mean, for me, it, it's. I just hope he ends up in a good situation, you know, where he's not rushed through the process and he's not pushed in too soon. Cause you look at those kids in Vancouver and in Colorado and what they uh-huh. did at 20 years old, like that's, I don't think they would have done it at a year, your younger age. You know, I think that's, that was their yeah, year. like Kale McCarr getting to play the year in college. Like that, yeah. that was huge. And Quinn Hughes, I mean, kind of Quinn's, Quinn's a late birthday, but still comes in as a 20 year old now, you know, and that's, it's, it's a big development. And, you know, for Jamie's, I mean, he's a 17 year old kid that, you know, has finally gotten to 180 pounds and he's not, he's going to have a tough time at 180, you know, granted he's fast enough and can do certain things, but it, he's still going to struggle. And I think for him, it's, he can be an impactful guy if he's put in the right situation and he comes in at the right time, I think. So, you yeah. And that's, that's another thing I took from him too, obviously. He's not an I guy, he's a we guy, and he hates to lose. That's mm-hmm. another thing that was very consistent with a lot of the stuff I run him. He hate, he's one of the – there's not many guys out there that hates to lose more than Jamie. Um, and another thing, too, is, you know, he had two stints with Team Canada, uh, the U, U18 and U20, and at 17 with the U20 squad, you know, he impressed. You know, there were a lot of people had a lot of good things to say about him. Um, and I just – I can't I, – I can only imagine – what that experience probably added to his game, uh, you know, especially there coming back to Erie a- afterwards. Yeah, no, I, he had a busier hockey boy and it, you, you go from, you went actually went from the end of our season to the world under 18s as an underage and then captain the Lincoln team in, in August and then making the world junior team. It was, um, he, his, his, he, he, he was just, he was just was willing to do whatever it took to make that team. And I talked to bear bear before they went over and, and, and had the camp and, or after they, you know, well, they kind of got to their, they're trying to figure out bodies. And he asked me about Jamie and willingness to accept a role. And I was just like, this kid's going to do whatever you ask him to do to be there. There's no question in my mind. And, and, and he did. And he, he, fought through some adversity early on, didn't play a whole lot the first game. I think he got out for a penalty kill early and got scored on and he wasn't going to hang his head. He was just going to get better. And he did as the tournament wore on, he got thrust into a huge role in the semis and and just carried through right through the end. And that's just the type of kid he is. So, you know. Is he, is he a guy that can you, I mean, obviously he runs your power play. He's a bit, he's, you know, probably the most important part of your power play. But, you know, is he, is he a guy that can play pretty much in any situation? He will be. Yeah. I mean, for us, he does just because, you know, it's, he's our best player. But, you know, I think at the National Hockey League level, I think it's going to take him a little bit of time to be a, you know, first last minute in, in win or you know, trying to protect the leads type situation. But I, I think by the, end, by the time his career is over, I think he will be a guy that's relied upon in every important moment. So, you know. So, so down a goal, up a goal, you know, trying to, trying to maintain a lead. I, like, like I said, again, that's, that, that's in a defenseman, that's what I'm looking for. And if, if they call Jamie Drysdale at number eight, you know, come tomorrow, tomorrow evening, 
you know, I'm thinking of him, you know, at some point playing alongside Rasmus Dahlin, which will make his job a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> take a lot of pressure, pressure off Dahlin because there's a lot of it on him right now here in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, granted, we are lacking a lot in, in our top six, but there's no question about it. We're lacking on the blue line, too, especially as a, for in right, uh, right-handed shot defenseman. And, again, I'm right there with Ty B. You know, if they're calling Jamie Drysdale's name at eight, I'm excited. Yeah, I would be too. So, yeah, Man, that's that all excite- I need. You hear that excitement in his voice? <laughs> you know, like no, that's, no, that's exactly what you need. It's like understated. It's like, yeah, I would. Yeah, be too. I know, like, I yeah, I would like, be too. I, I feel yeah. it. It's. I get asked. Yeah, I have. I NHL teams have asked where I think he's going. I said I don't know, but all I know is whoever's getting him's getting a hell of a kid, hell of a player, and a guy that's going to be a, a staple on your blue line for years. So. Um, He's not a bust. I can almost guarantee that he's not a bust player just because of who he is as a person and his work habits. They just won't be there, no question. So I, and I personally wouldn't mind seeing him spending one more year in Erie too, just to play under you because, like I said, the 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 system you've built there in Erie, you know, the expectation, you know, being hard to play against, building a winner, building a sustained winner. And just the, the, the development regimen you guys have uh, developed there, I, uh, you know, I would absolutely love to hear that he's spending just one more year in Erie just to play underneath you. So would I. I think we all would. <laughs> all the coaches. So makes our jobs a lot easier. So, yeah. Um, yeah no, but, uh, I mean, that's it for me. I don't know if you have any last thoughts, Ty. No, I'm, I'm all good. I'm all set. I'm ready for this draft. There's going to be tons of stuff happening. Who knows what the Sabres are going to do, but there's tons of great options. And, you know, if you're ever looking to go see what the talent could be for the next season, the trip down to Erie is always a real quick one, just a little worth over it. an hour worth from it. Buffalo. It's very worth it. Yeah. And I hope, and I hope if I guess, again, if we do call Jamie's name tomorrow night, I'll absolutely. I know Ty will be right there with me, taking trips down to Erie to come watch him play. <laughs> Hopefully, having a beer. I'll be with, uh, taking coach. notes. No, I'll be taking notes the yeah. whole time. No beers. Yeah. Hopefully, having a beer and some wings, you know, with uh, <laughs> Coach Hartsey after the game. Absolutely. I got a couple yeah. spots we can go to. So. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Have you ever made the trip up here in the Buffalo? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, man. Um, Fair I bet. Will say I, this, man. They work USA hockey camps typically in the summer, so at the yeah. University of Buffalo, so. Uh, I try to go one a summer, so I get my fill of wings when I'm up there for sure. So, yeah, you know. the best places to go are the holes in the wall, man. Never go uh, to like any. I mean, Anchor Bar, it's a staple. You know, the, wing, the, the yeah, chicken wings. It's not where you go though. It's not no. where you go for the best chicken wings. I'm telling no. you right now, and Ty knows what I'm talking about <laughs> for sure. So, but with that being said, Chris, thank you uh, for coming on. I hope well, we can have you on again at some point, especially Absolutely. if we uh, the Sabers do take Jamie um you know you've been a real pleasure and a great interview so i uh, enjoy i hope you enjoy the rest of your night and hopefully we'll be talking to you soon thanks guys appreciate it yeah, thank you all right hi i'm logan anderson host of the say the damn score podcast on my show i deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by you guessed it talking to sportscasters The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. 
Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.